Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year in live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones, we're with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by John Holt, Fox 4 anchor in Kansas City. We'll be talking KU in their national title run, as well as the Chiefs and Royals in their possible stadium renovation or move plans. We'll dive into all of that with Johnny Ray when he joins us. In just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, as well as our Tom Fullery Story of the Week at the end of the show as well. Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor, joins me right now. He'll be with us throughout most of the show today. And we have plenty to discuss, whether it's Scotty Scheffler and his Masters victory or the NBA playoffs just about to get started. The MLB season is underway. And the triumphant comeback of Tiger Woods. I know he didn't win the Masters, but it felt like a victory to see him out there. Man, Bo, that was uh, inspiring stuff, wasn't it? To see uh, Tiger Woods uh, complete all four rounds, make the cut and everything. That was the highlight of my weekend. I, I had a good time in Anaheim and going out, you know, being a part of uh, MLB opening weekend and all that. That was pretty cool. But uh, for me, no disrespect to Scotty or anything like that, my highlight was just seeing Tiger be able to go all four rounds at Augusta. That was cool. Yeah, I think it was a big deal to see Tiger go all the way through, and uh, he played really well. I mean, they made the cut and then played fairly well all weekend. And it is – golf is better. It's more fun to watch. And it's just a better viewing experience for Tiger Woods there. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was cool to see and a great story. And, and now uh, you look ahead to the – PGA Championship uh, next month in my hometown in Tulsa. And Tiger says that he's going to do everything that he can to try to compete in that event, but he's definitely going to participate in the Open Championship in St. Andrews. Phil Mickelson, his status still remains unknown if he'll defend his title at the PGA Championship. Bryson DeChambeau's got an injury. Looks like he's going to be out and such. Um you know, I, I'm going to be there at the PGA, and, you know, that's a big deal for Tulsa and such, Bo. But, man, I, I would be just heartbroken if we don't get not only Bryson already gone. I'm not a Bryson fan, but I enjoy a good villain story. If Bryson's not there and if Tiger and Phil aren't there, man, that, that, that just won't be the same. Uh, I think we're already off to a good start. I feel like the golf season kind of starts with the Masters. Um now carry that momentum over to a good PGA championship. Let's get Phil back out there. Let's get a healthy Tiger out there as well, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% across the board there. I, I think that, like I said, golf's better when Tiger's there. Phil's kind of second to me. Uh, I'm a big Phil guy. 
you know, I'm disappointed some stuff has happened with him, but you know what? I think golf needs him. And then I think you said it right on the Bryson DeChambeau. It's, he, he's a heel, as they say in wrestling, and you got to have a good heel. Um, and yeah, I'm a good villain. It's fun to root for. I mean, I'm a guy who roots for the bad guys. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Scotty Scheffler getting it done at the uh, Masters uh, this past week. World number one, 25 years old, uh, from Dallas, and he played some really good golf over the last 12 months, leading to this uh, Masters championship. Um, Man, uh, Scotty Scheffler, if you didn't know who he was, you, you're going to know who he is right now because the way that he's played as of late throughout this calendar year, uh, pretty remarkable stuff from uh, Scotty Scheffler. This won't be the last time we've been mentioning his name, Bo. Did I see that he was, I think it was his last eight tournaments? He's won four? Yes. And he's, he, has a, he has a seventh place finish, and then he's got two, like, top 25s, number two. Yes. He's been phenomenal, and, and that's incredible. It was an incredible run. I think what I saw was he made his purse was like two point seven million for the for the Masters, but his last eight events was something like eight point nine million. Yeah, and, did you see those same numbers? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And again, I didn't know. I'm, and I'm a very casual golf fan. I didn't know who he was. Yeah, that's okay. He was. I didn't realize he was the number one player in the world. He's only the second person to win the Masters in the first week they're the number one player in the world. Right. It was him. I think it was Ian Woosnam was the first one who I saw. It was only his third time ever playing in the Masters. Yeah. That's unbelievable. That's unheard of. Uh, Scotty Scheffler going to be a guy that we're talking about for quite some time, I think. Big congrats to him on uh, getting it done and He'll certainly be a name to watch uh, at the PGA Championship coming up next month and and uh, a lot of momentum for that as uh, that event will be in uh, Southern Hills. But the uh, MLB season we'll, uh, we'll touch on here in a little bit. Uh, had a chance to go out to Anaheim and spend a couple of days in Orange County and, and uh, you know, that was certainly a, a good time. But the NBA playoffs – just getting ready to start, Bo, these uh, play-in tournament games. You know, the, the, the play-in tournament for me, Bo, it, it doesn't do it for me like it does some other people. You know, I think that this thing's going to stay around for the foreseeable future because it's more games, it's more money for the league and such. And last year certainly drew a lot of intrigue when you had the Lakers and the Warriors in the play-in game battling for, you know, a, a playoff spot and such, ultimately the – uh, you know, Lakers ended up making it and the Warriors uh, ended up uh, missing the playoffs altogether last year. But, you know, for me, I, I look at it, okay, you're going to play into the turn you, to the playoffs only to get beat by the seventh or eighth seed and probably pretty bad. I guess Brooklyn has a shot, but of these teams in the play-in tournament at these final four spots in the East or the West, Brooklyn's the only team that can do some damage. I'm not intrigued by the play-in tournament like other people are because you're just waiting for the inevitable here. Yeah, I think it was more of – I think you're right in that it was a situation where they're thinking, well, we're going to have some more uh, more valuable games as far as the fill-in for television and whatnot. But I think the biggest reason the NBA does the playoff game, the playoff tournament like this, is just in case – like the, like the Warriors were last year, like the Lakers, you know, or the, the Nets this year, 
that one superstar has a bad season, is injured, but can somehow get themselves not quite in the playoffs, but to the nine or to the 10. You know, we're seeing that now with the Nets. We're seeing that with, you know, last year with the Warriors, uh, that kind of thing. Because you don't want to have the playoffs without Steph. You don't want to have the playoffs without Durant. Right. Those kind of things. I, I think it's more having to do with that than anything else. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, some of these games here, you're talking about the, uh, the the Brooklyn, for example, with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, you know, those guys getting to play, you know, in these play-in games, that's going to draw some eyeballs and such to see those guys, uh, you know, who we've talked about, you know, the, the NBA is so fascinating because it's not about being the best team for, you know, as far as intrigue goes and such. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about the Lakers, the Nets. I mean, the damn Knicks have been talked about for 30-plus years and haven't done a damn thing and yet sure. still take all the headlines and such. I mean, this is a sport that relies so much on name brands that – quite frankly, don't always produce. Yeah. And that's, I think it's all about the NBA is totally different than every other uh, franchise. You look at the NFL, major league baseball, even the NHL, it's about teams. The NBA is about players, it's about stars. Yeah. It's been like that since the eighties. And that's because they marketed it that way in the 1980s with bird and magic and Jordan, you know, first it was bird and magic then Jordan. Then you had this whole series of guys like Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing and, it, it's, it's continued that way. It's a lot easier in the sport. We've only got five players in the field. That one player makes an incredible difference to a game. And I think that's what it is. And I think that, you know, when you've got a team like Brooklyn, I mean, you know, that, in that case, they, they, you want them in the playoffs. You know, yeah. you want, you, you'd love to see, you know, the, the Atlanta Hawks are playing. And the Atlanta Hawks, you know, they're sitting there with uh, Trey Young. You know, some of the guy who's a, an emerging superstar who you really want to see, you know, in those playoffs. Yeah. I'm, he's not done what they've done here. They, they are going to make their superstars happy. They keep the superstars happy. It's how the league keeps, keeps functioning. Right. Right. And uh, that Nets team, you know, they, they beat Cleveland the other night and uh, you know, Kyrie Irving had 34 points in that game. Kevin Durant had 25. Uh, you know, both those guys played, played really well. And, you know, with, with them starting to, to find their rhythm of some sorts here, I, I wonder, are, are people what, – what is the public perception, do you think, of this Nets team, Bo? Is it um, – you know, a, a couple months ago, everybody was ridiculing Kyrie Irving, right, because he wasn't vaccinated and he wasn't playing in the home games. And, and actually, before that, he wasn't even on the team at all. And then there's another half of the country that was – rooting for Kyrie that he was, you know, standing up, uh, you know, to the, uh, you know, the vaccine crowd and such. And now as the mass mandates have passed and such, you know, the, the vaccine mandates, here he is, he's playing and such. Do you think that Kyrie and the Nets and, and Kevin Durant, are they a villain or are they – kind of a hero or a little bit of vote, a little bit of both. Where do the Nets fall, you think, when it comes to public perception right now? I think the Nets are a villain, and I'll tell you why. I think some of the stuff, the Kyrie stuff, some of that will linger. I think Kevin Durant is a, is a villain. Yes. I think there's a lot of people who don't like Kevin Durant. 
you know, he's been kind of the he's it's always been the hired gun wherever he's gone. Yeah, he's never been. You know, he's I mean, he's one of the top two or three players in the league. He has been practically his whole career, but he's never been liked. He's never been as respected as LeBron. He's never been put on that pedestal. I think I, that I think hurts it his ego him. too. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it bothers him. And I think people understand that, you know, there's the, the things about Kevin Durant, like, you know, he got caught with the burner accounts on Twitter and stuff like that. Things that like, those are petty for most, most of those guys. But for him, it just, he seems like the kid who has everything, but nobody likes. Right. Like, like we all had the neighborhood kid who had all the toys and you only went and played at their house because they had all the best toys. Right. You know, that's kind of what how I see Kevin Durant. I mean, he's, there's no doubt he's got talent. He's one of the most talented players in the history of the league. But I think people don't like him because he seems spoiled. He seems not likely. He doesn't smile for the cameras. You know, LeBron, and I'm using LeBron because LeBron's the guy for this generation, and Kevin Durant's clearly number two at, at best. Um, but, I mean, LeBron has outdone – Kevin Durant in every way and Kevin Durant's been successful I mean he how good he played with the Thunder how you know he went to the Warriors and they were great and won a title now he's trying to do his own thing in Brooklyn and trying to put a team together around him you know I I think he's the villain when it's all said and done I think there's certainly some reasons to either like or dislike Kyrie whatever your you know weight viewpoint of looking at it is but I think it's the more the bigger lightning rods Durant you know, I look at Kevin Durant. This is a guy, Bo, for me, that is the, I think, the greatest seven-foot shooting, you know, big man we've ever seen in this game. Seven-foot, you know, shooter. He's the greatest that we've seen. But beyond that, that's who he is. You know, I mean, he we don't see him put in for, – for a guy that, that's built like him, he should be still doing more. We don't see him getting those those extra rebounds or those great passes and such. I mean, Kevin Durant at this point in his career should be a lot more polished than what he is. At the end of the day, he is a great tall jump shooter, and that's almost it with Kevin Durant. He should be a lot more than what he is. Yeah, I think that one of the – and I, I see where you're going there. And I'll say it this way. I think that with Kevin Durant – um, again, the talent's there. You're right in that he's a seven-foot shooter. There's a segment of fans, of basketball fans, I, you can include me in this, or I can say it like this, who kind of look at Kevin Durant and say, you're kind of what ruined basketball for us. Right. You know, we've got, we've got a whole generation of seven. You, got a, you are a seven-footer who doesn't want to get under the basket. And, and I know that the, the center is not a big part of the game nowadays, and I can uh, live with that. But when someone's seven foot tall and has no ability whatsoever outside of a jump shot, I mean, he's athletic. He can get to the rim. He can take you off the ball. He's basically a guard who's a seven footer. And that's kind of someone like me who looks at it and goes, man, you're so athletic. You could be so much better and do so many different things. I mean, he could have been – he could be Magic Johnson. He right. could be better. He's a better shooter. Yeah. 
I mean, think about that. Kevin Durant, I mean, to me, Mike Magic Johnson is one of the best five players in the history of the game. Kevin Durant could be better. But he's settled on being a shooter. And a lot of that's the way the game is now, too, especially at the NBA level, because you have to be a good shooter to play in the NBA now. Right. You know, I, but I, I, to me, Kevin Durant is never going to be the guy. Not for the league. I mean, he's the guy on his team. Uh, he was. He hasn't been the guy. He wasn't in, in Golden State. That was Steph's team. I mean, you can argue that Durant was the reason they got there, but in the end, it's Steph's team. It's his franchise. You know, but he'll never be LeBron. Right. He's never even going to be Steph. I think his only chance of doing that would have been if he would have stayed in Oklahoma City and brought them a title. If they could have kept those three guys, it, I don't know how they would have done it, but if they could have kept him and Russ and Harden together, I, how good would that have been? For how long? It would have been good for the league. It would have been, especially in a small, especially in a um, in a smaller town, you know, in a smaller market to do right. that. You know, that would have been incredible for the league. You know, and they just couldn't do it. They couldn't afford any of them when it was all said and done. Right. Like yeah. the Royals. I lose sleep over that still. Uh, you know, thanks for bringing up those memories, Bo. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I look at this postseason and, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, still fighting their way to, you know, get in and such, going through this playing tournament. And, and you know, love them or hate them, I think the playoffs would be better if we get, those guys in a series with the top seed in the Eastern conference. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge LeBron fan, uh, you know, by any means, but you're lying to yourself. If you think this playoffs is going to be better without LeBron James, it, you may hate LeBron. You may hate the Lakers, but what do the ratings tell us, Bo? The ratings always say, you're still watching. Even if you hate watching, you're still watching. And yeah. when he's not there, you're not interested. You don't have somebody to hate and such. So it's not necessarily that everyone watching is a LeBron lover boy. And, you know, I'm sick of those LeBron lover boys. That's a whole other story anyway. Um, <laughs> it's not saying that you're necessarily a LeBron lover boy, but you're intrigued. He's got your attention. To me, that's what, you know, the, these, these playoffs – you don't have to be a LeBron fan necessarily to uh, enjoy him being in the playoffs here. It will be, it won't be the same with him not being a part because I mean, quite frankly, he's one of the best players to ever play this game. It won't be as yeah. good without him, whether you admit so or not. Yeah. A LeBron James playoff game is appointment watching. Yes. I mean, plain and simple. He is love him or hate guy. him. You're watching. Yes, you're watching. Even if you're watching to see him lose. Yes. You know, and the fact that the Lakers didn't make it, not even into the play-in, it speaks very, very highly to a lot of dysfunction in their organization. Um, and he's part of that problem. To be frank. I mean, and I'm a, look, and I'm a LeBron apologist in a way. I'm a huge LeBron fan. Are you a lover boy? Don't call yourself. I won't a call him boy. a lover boy. He's, but he's, he, look, he's the second best basketball player I've ever seen. Okay. And I'll argue that all things being equal, 
man, he might be just as good as number one. Oh, now you're starting to talk about you're starting to get closer to a lover boy status. I, I'm just saying that they're the talent wise. Look, they, okay. they, there's, okay. he's a, a full on talent that likes that we have not Red seen. Red lightly. Yeah, it's Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I have a one, two, three. I think that's pretty set now. And he's number two to me in my lifetime. Okay. I mean, to me, it's Jordan, it's LeBron. Magic is three to me. Yeah. And that hurts because I was a kid, I was a Celtics fan. So the uh, the Western Conference, Bo, uh, before Steph got injured, I would have told you that it's going to be about Phoenix and Golden State. But Golden State hoping to get Steph back. Clay Thompson, he's been okay, but he's not the player that he was prior to the injuries. Draymond Green showing age and such. I mean, the Warriors are good, but I don't think they're winning the West. Um, to me, I, I look at these other teams. There's some good teams in the West. Frankly. There are. There are. A couple of them. But I think Phoenix stands well above everyone else right now. This is theirs to lose in the West, I think. I think the whole thing is Phoenix's to lose. I think they're the best team. I, I The best I've seen all season, I think they're the best team. I do think the West is theirs to lose. Um, I like Memphis. I like Dallas. I like Denver. I mean, I like I, they've all got pieces that I really like, but I Phoenix is complete from hit from top to bottom. And Chris Paul, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Chris Paul guy too. He gets the most out of his teammates. I don't even know if he, DeAndre Ayton likes to play basketball, but Chris Paul makes him push him to the limit as far yeah. as possible. I, I don't know that in the last, let me think, I'll say in the last 20 years, there's been a player who makes his teammates better than Chris Paul does. Yeah. I mean, he's – Chris Paul is not the greatest point guard of all time. No. But he – everybody that plays with him wants to play with him, and he makes everybody around him better. He finds a way. I mean, he's – to me, he's incredible in that way. And and I want to see him get one so bad. I do too. For um, that reason alone. We would not have professional basketball in Oklahoma City without Chris Paul. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, he is – I'm always going to be a Chris Paul fan for what he did for Oklahoma City. Yeah, and then, you know, I'm a New Orleans guy. You know, he brought the, the Hornets to New Orleans. I mean, he was the reason they stayed. And the one playoff run they made at the beginning, he was the guy. And he was young. I mean, he was – but he, he was a special talent. He made every – he made those teams were bad too. I mean, David West was the second best player on those teams. Yeah, he got them in the playoffs a couple years in a row, and they did some damage to some teams. He made everybody around him better. Um, one team I'm watching for that, you know, if if bad luck wouldn't have hit them, I think they could have made some noise. Is the Mavericks? Luca gets injured the very last night of the regular season. Oh. He's out for at least game one. Could be out for the whole series. They have a tough series ahead with Utah here and Utah very capable of making some noise and could walk away with that series. Um, if you're Dallas, you're hoping to, you know, not, not catch those losses early. You know, if this yeah. has to, if you have to go six or seven games and get Luca back, you know, later on, you know, whatever it takes to, you know, take care of business, you know, if you have to extend the series, whatever it is, yeah to keep it around um, and just get to the next round for a healthy Luca. 
Uh, that's to me what I'm looking at at this point. It, you know, for Dallas, it's it's uh, you know kind kind of hold things together until you get Luca back. Yeah, Luca's amazing. So I watched the game with him. I think it was maybe a week and week and a half ago. I've never seen a player get buckets so easily. I, I mean, easily. I mean, like just effortless. It looks like he's not even trying at times. He just he's so tall. He shoots over people. And then he puts the ball on the court and goes to the rim. And you're like, oh, shit. it's what Kevin Durant should be. Except he's a big body, too. Right. I mean, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Luka guy. I like him. I like him quite a bit. And I do think you're right that the Mavericks have got to extend things to get him healthy, to give themselves any chance. Because the that top five, to tell me the top six in the West, they're all really good. Yeah. I think you're right. You're right about that. Uh, Eastern Conference. Uh, Miami is the uh, one seed in the East, but, I mean, the top four all were separated by two games. Mm-hmm. Not a huge difference at all between those teams. Miami had a, a really good regular season, and, you know, they were in the, the NBA Finals just a couple of years ago. I've been very intrigued with those guards there. Jimmy Butler playing good. Not what he was doing a couple of years ago, but still playing very good. But the emergence of Tyler Hero, I mean, that white boy could shoot. <laughs> I knew that you were going to go that way somewhere. I just, <laughs> in the back of my mind, you went Tyler Hero, and I'm like, I know where he's going with this. <laughs> um, yeah, Tyler Hero is great. The, the, Heat, the Heat are the best coach team. I think Spolster showed how good a coach he really is these last few years. Yes. And, and I mean, talking about a great coach. I mean, he, he reminds me of Pat Riley and, and, and obviously that was the guy who brought him up and, you know, was there before him, but I mean, he's basically he, Pat Riley's son at this point. Yeah. At this point, but he really, he coaches like him. He, he gets the best out of his team. Um, they don't have the big franchise. I mean, Jimmy Butler's the best player on the team. And while he's great, he's not, there's no other team that would be where they're at with Jimmy Butler as their number one option. Mm-hmm. But Spolster can get him there for some reason. I think that he's the difference maker for that franchise. And I there's very that. few there's very few franchises like that in the NBA right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. In the East, I like uh, – I do – I'm interested to see what the 76ers do. You know, they when they got James Harden over in the Ben Simmons right. deal, and then it looked great initially. It was like, whoo. This is what, you know, we needed. This is what they needed. And they kind of limped in. They won six of the last ten. It's like not really playing their best ball going into the playoffs. But, man, I, I with Embiid and if, if Harden's healthy and he's right, they're going to be a hard out too. Embiid, I want to see them in the Bucks. We have not seen a big man like Embiid in a long time. Yeah. Those numbers are off the charts. 30 points a game, 11 rebounds from the center position. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah, he's the best center since Shaq. How do you guard him? In today's game, you really can't. There's just nobody who plays the position. I mean, anymore. essentially, whoever plays them in the East, Embiid's going to get his, and you have to take care of everybody else. Yes. And that's why if James Harden's playing well, they're not going to lose the East. That's the whole thing, is that if he plays well, 
you know what Embiid's bringing you. I mean, you got the, you got this guy who's the, basically the perfect player out there. And, and I really think athletically he is about the most perfect player out there. And you just put him out there and say, okay, you, you can't stop him. And he's the most unique thing that's on the going in the league. And then if Harden plays a good game, if Harden's playing well, they're going to be a tough out. But it's all dependent on how James Harden plays now. I still like the defending champs a whole lot, this Bucks team. I know they're the three seed. Yeah, but I do too. Honestly, I want to 30 points a want... game, 12 rebounds, um, and they got some depth on that team. Like, that's, that's a really good bunch. I think your two best teams out of that East, I think it's going to come down to the Bucks or Sixers here. I think so too. Those are the two best teams. They think, they're the two things that I think are the best two teams in the East too. And, and people will argue the Nets if, you know, Kyrie's back and – Everything going on there, you know, and maybe they get in, maybe they maybe they can make that run at them. But yeah, I want to see Bucks 76ers for seven games. You know, you, you mentioned the Nets. One more thing on them, by the way. Um, there was a report that came out this week that Ben Simmons feels the best that he's ever felt in his entire career. Well, then play, damn it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ben Simmons hurts my heart. As an LSU guy, because Ben Simmons is LSU, and we don't really claim him anymore because he's not. No, really no, no. You guys, guy. you call him Ben Simons now. Yeah, he's just awful. I, soft. I mean, just toilet paper soft. I mean, like I, 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 he is the epitome of a spoiled athlete. I mean, just he doesn't want to play. It, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, this is the guy that I really wanted to root for too. I really wanted. Ben Simmons to come in the league, and I wanted him and Embiid to blow this thing up because their abilities match up so well. They get out-athlete three-quarters of the teams in the league. But Ben Simmons is the head case. And it just plain and simple. I mean, I, I, I'd i love to try to make excuses for a guy because he's an LSU guy, but, you know, I, I, I can't, and I'm not going to. And I don't know what I can and can't say here, but bleep me later. He's a pussy. <laughs> I'm not bleeping that. No, no, no. <laughs> that stays. <laughs> it, it just and, and I and, and that's a shame because that guy's a hell of an athlete just, and a hell of a defensive player. I, I just uh, hope you don't get into uh, Bill Simmons territory. What he uh, got caught up in this week? Oh, I'm not familiar with this. Oh, he uh, he's being ridiculed by everybody because he said f Jalen Green. Oh, well, f- Ben Simmons. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> now uh, now now uh, Bo's going to be canceled. <laughs> Cancel culture coming after Bo. Hey, uh, you know there's other people in sports that'll say the same thing about this. <laughs> There's not a jury that would convict me on the Ben Simmons piece. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think so. So um, I'm going with the Suns and the Bucs in the final, and I got the Suns winning it all. You already told me you're leaning towards the Suns to win it all. Who comes out of the East? Um, God, I, I, Bucks and Sixers, I, I, that's the series. It can go either way. I, If Harden plays well, give me the Sixers. I'll go with the Sixers. If Harden's well, they're going to be hard to beat. But Giannis is great, and the Bucs are a great choice. I, I wouldn't – I'm not going to give you any grief about that pick at all. Should be fun. You know, yeah. Bo, when it comes to playoff time, you know, 
the NBA, I'll watch it in the regular season if it's on in the bar or yeah. when the Thunder are good, you know, or if nothing else is on, you know, I make a point to watch my team or some games are on, you know, good background stuff during the regular season. But playoff basketball, um, I, I make a point to watch every night, even if it's just a little bit here and there. Um, things kick up about 10 notches compared to the regular season. So much yeah. better. The, the, the NBA regular season is is garbage. The yeah, NBA I, playoffs every night's incredible. This season in particular has been bad. And and I I'm one of those people who I will watch certain players. If LeBron's on, I'm gonna watch LeBron. Uh, it's not appointment television, uh, the NBA regular season. But again, there's nothing else on. I don't watch a lot of TV. I do watch a lot of sports. But uh, so a great game, a great matchup, I'm going to watch. Yeah. Um, but the playoffs come around, yeah, I'm going to watch it because now you get the best of the best out there. And I'll watch the NBA playoffs before I'll watch any other basketball. I'd rather watch just a random Tuesday night in an NBA playoff game than any of the college basketball tournaments, for instance. Right. Which I know it's not popular where I'm at, but that's just how I feel. I, It's the best players in the world playing, and you see the best players playing, it makes you realize the other basketball is bad basketball. Um, last thing, too, uh, as far as the uh, the playoffs go, uh, my one thing I can guarantee that will happen, uh, you, know, my, my, you know, all these other picks, I can't promise are going to, you know, happen and such. Whether the Suns win it all, the Bucks get there, you know, none of that stuff I can promise. But the one thing that I can promise that I can swear on my heart and such that's going to happen this postseason, Bo, and it very well just might come to a halt technically before the playoffs even start in this uh, play-in game on Friday night. Uh, Peachy 13, Paul George, will find a way to choke one way or the other. He is a very good choke artist. That is what he's good at. I know he gave himself the name Playoff P, and that's been very ironic. I liked Paul George in Oklahoma City. Um, it's nothing personal, just business, but uh, that guy doesn't have the clutch gene. Uh, Paul George will find a way to uh, cost the uh, Clippers uh, some playoff games here. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, and I'll, I'll take the, the Pelicans over the Clippers in the, <laughs> in the, in the game on Friday night. I, uh, yeah, I'm not a big Paul George guy. You know, that's the other thing, another team. The New Orleans Pelicans are in. And they haven't had Zion Williamson the entire season. Yeah. And that's been the kind of the, the MO for the season. I think that's why the season's been bad. You look at like the James Harden stuff. Zion hasn't played. Ben Simmons, ben Simmons. hasn't played. You know, we've had all of the Anthony LeBron's Davis. Stuff. Anthony Davis hasn't played much. Steph's you know, been out. This, Clay yeah. came back late. It's been a bad season. So this playoffs better be good. <laughs> you know what I want to do, though, in the playoffs? I well, no Kawhi Leonard either. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I want to go to? I want to go to a game. You and I can do this. Maybe we can get time to do this. I want to go to a game in Memphis. Okay. I want to hear the whoop that trick. <laughs> I'll yeah. go to any game where they can play that. And John Morant is incredible. I'm, I'm, in, for, I'm in for a Grizzlies game, if anyone wants to do it. If, uh, if the Pelicans had to do it over again, don't you think they're wishing they would have taken John, not Zion right now? I think so. I think so. Ja's going to be a better star when it's all said and done. I think he's he already left. is. He, are, he already is a better basketball player, and Zion is athletic. Zion has to play football. <laughs> Go play tight end. Man, uh, man, make a middle linebacker, a, a tight end, an edge rusher. Hell, I, 
play any position he wants to play. He's just the injuries on him. That body's just not going to hold up. No, I, no, no. I mean, he uh, he he's one Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. Yeah, and the problem is he plays in New Orleans, and I know the food's good there. <laughs> man, that, that was my biggest worry. I was like, man, he's going to be eating all that gumbo. going to be eating all that – all that beans and rice. Man, I'm telling you, I'm from there. I know how good the food is. Every time I go visit family, I put on 10 pounds. I mean, if I'm there four days, I come back 10 pounds every. And it ain't just a beer. So, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like Zion saying to himself, too, do I really want to play in the Smoothie King Center any longer, or do I want to go play in Madison Square Garden? Yeah. Oh, you know he's going to be a Nick. That's the thing. He's, he's, they've always wanted the big free agent, and that's the one they're going to get. They got Sabaro in New York, Zion. <laughs> There's plenty of pizza places in New York. You think he ballooned in New Orleans? <laughs> you, you can get away without eating some carbs in New Orleans. <laughs> they get you all the pepperonis, brother. Yeah, he's going to be in, in Famous Joe's, Original Joe's, Original Famous Joe's, Famous Joe's, Original... Oh, he gonna find all the pizza places, <laughs> Manhattan, the Bronx, Brooklyn. He gonna know them all, and they gonna all know him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good, Zion. Uh, it's been an interesting run in New Orleans, but I think uh, Fat Tuesday's over. <laughs> yeah, Mardi Gras is over, and get ready for for Madison Square Garden. When is he a free agent? Is it next season? The season I think after? it's next after next year. Well, the Pelicans better trade and get something for him now. <laughs> you know, he he reminds me of Barkley. Yeah, Barkley ate his but, way out of Philly. But Barkley, at the beginning of his career, had Moses Malone and and, and Dr. J to teach him to be to be a be a professional. Right, Zion didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what's hurting him. Coming up in just a few moments, uh, John Holt is going to join us as uh, we'll talk about Kansas's national title run, some Chiefs, some Royals, and uh, a few things with uh, Johnny Ray when he joins us. Uh, later on, we'll have Coach Post Football Fix. Uh, we're going to talk some Major League Baseball, and we'll also have our uh, Tom Fullery story of the week. Uh, as we bring John in in just a moment, uh, Bo, as somebody that is in the Kansas City area, I got to ask you your thoughts real quick uh, before we get the uh, the details from John here. What do you think about these ideas that are being thrown out of possibly moving the Royals downtown and maybe even moving the Chiefs out of Kansas City and over to uh, KCK? I think moving the Royals to downtown is a really good idea. I think it downtown is so much fun with the PL. You know, the Power and Light District and everything going on there. You know, you'd have 81 baseball games downtown. I think that would help a lot of down there. Royals games are fun, but the problem is there's nothing to do before or after the game. Right. You don't really tailgate a baseball game. You know, you tailgate a football game. You know, and Kansas City is great for that for the Chiefs. But, you know, a baseball game, you know, it's Friday night. You go to a baseball game. The game's over 10, 1030. You see the fireworks. And you want to go do something. Go to have a couple beers. You want to go, you know, go to a, you know, go to a bar, go to a club, whatever. And you got that right downtown. You can walk to everything. I love it for I love it for downtown park for baseball. I love it for basketball. I don't love it for football. 
just because you don't have as many games per season plus the tailgating factors. Right, and that's not even mentioned. It's the idea of moving them to uh, KCK. Yeah, case the moving to KCK. Um, you know, there's something about Arrowhead that's, you know, a tradition. Right. And I wonder what traditions would shake. I, I don't think the Chiefs will be leaving Arrowhead. I think it's more likely the Royals would. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't know. All, all things change in time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, more on that with uh, John Holt when he joins us in uh, just a moment. We'll bring that to you on the other side. You're listening to the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week is John Holt, Fox 4 Kansas City anchor and good friend of the show, a fellow alumnus of the University of Kansas, the national champions of college basketball, and he joins us right now. John, that sounds good to say, doesn't it? It sure does. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. I, you know, I was there in 08 uh, covering the Jayhawk uh, contingent along with our sports crew uh, when they won in that with Mario's miracle to tie it and then take it to overtime and win against Memphis. And I don't think you never you never take a championship for granted. Right. I think we as sports fans have come to understand that. But given Bill Self's track record, the recruits base he was building I don't think any of us thought it would be you know we would wait this long you know to get a title back when it wasn't we didn't wait too long to get back you know to the final four and even in 2012 the title game which we lost uh, in New Orleans uh, to Kentucky but uh, yeah you know it's it's a relief I know for Bill Self he, he had said some things in the week leading up right after they cemented their final four spot he was asked uh, in Lawrence at his availability there, you know, does, do you need to win this? And, you know, a lot of coaches go into coach speak at that point, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, they, you hear the, no, 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 we've made it to the final four. I think our fans know who we are. We know who we are. <clears throat> we don't have to, to win at all to be satisfied. He, au contraire, he said, no, we, we, we need, if, if we want to remain in that upper echelon of Duke, North Carolina, and certainly now Villanova coming on and showing some blue blood tendencies, they would be a newer version. He said, we need to win this. We need to cut the nets down on Monday night. It was real honesty from him, I thought. Um, I think it was weighing on him maybe perhaps more than we, we realized that he had won. And there's that level of coaches, obviously, that, that you know, Mike Krzyzewski, the John Woodens. And then there's that level of coaches that have two or three Self was sitting there at one for so long, and I think I think he needed that second one to sort of cement his, you know, he's already a Hall of Famer. We know that Kansas fans know what he's capable of, but it was good, I think, for him, the team, and the fan base to add another banner to to the fog. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> and you know, I mean, as far as the aura goes of you know comparing championships and such, I mean even though I wasn't there like you, John, you know, I was just watching here in Dallas, found a great KU alumni bar and such, and felt like I was back at the wheel and everything, even without being there, being in Lawrence and such, this one felt so special. I don't know about you. I mean, to look at 2020 of what should have been in the gap from how long it was to 08 
And, you know, th- this was the first one for me as somebody that had went to Kansas. You know, I wasn't there in 08 and such. I was back in sixth grade at that point. No, um, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a Royals and Chiefs guy, but there, there's something about when it's your school. I mean, this yeah. was uh, this was a long time coming. I, I haven't felt as connected to a title like this one, John. I don't know about you. Well, it's a little easier for me because obviously I'm I'm a tad bit older than you. <laughs> uh, I, I actually remember '88. I had just moved down to Wichita, uh, Danny and the Miracles uh, at Kemper Arena uh, against uh, beating Duke, a team they had lost to. Uh, well, actually, step back, beating K State in the Elite Eight, a team they had lost to, beating Duke in the semis, a team they had lost to earlier in the season, and then Oklahoma. They're nemesis. So the world is round. That was Larry Brown saying the world is round. We came full circle. and We took care of business. I was uh, down in Wichita. I just started my job at the NBC affiliate in Wichita uh, and was able to come up to Kansas City on Saturday and watch with some friends, but then had to go back to Wichita. I was fairly new there. Couldn't just take a day off. And uh, had to, I actually was on the air on NBC. Back yeah. then, CBS carried the game. And I'll never forget, Tyler, the the meteorologist at KSNW in Wichita, he's a good friend of mine to this day, was an OU grad. You know, they had that great <laughs> meteorology school, yes. right? And so he was cheering for the Sooners. Well, at 10 o'clock, we went on the air. I was filling in anchoring that night for the main mail anchor. And Mike Smith was back in the weather center, which in those days was just kind of peripheral vision. I could sort of see it. And uh, I could see his hands go up when things went well. And I and at one point, I knew that I went down to the studio and was just beginning the newscast as Danny Manning, you recall, was going to the free throw line to sort of try to ice it away. And I saw Mike with his clipboard slam the clipboard down out of the corner <laughs> of my eye. I'm, I'm, I'm on air, right? And out of the corner of my, the other corner of my eye, the guy behind the camera, this is back when you had studio crews actually working the cameras, gives me a thumbs up from out behind the camera. And I couldn't cheer i couldn't yell i just kind of in my own weird way probably smiled and then we got to the break and then i yeah yeah the, 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 my co-anchor at the time was also a ku grad we had high five uh and it was it was really quite a night but but like you not being there it was tough um and and so yeah and then of course we waited till we we had opportunities but it was 08 before we got another one and by that time, I was covering the not not the team as much. I was sent really more to cover the the flavor of San Antonio and the Final Four and the fans. And but we we did help our sports guys covering the team. And um, it just was it was it was a different feel to be there to experience it. Um, and I hope someday I know I know someday you'll get that chance too. I got your text, uh, you know, as 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 uh, the Jayhawks were celebrating and. I felt for you because I've been there where you're, 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 you're there in spirit and you wish you were there in person. And, and it was really, it was really a very special, both, both 08. And uh, I was in San Antonio in 18 and, and Al Wallace, the sports guy I was working with at that time, he and I had been in San Antonio 08. We, yeah, both we were both down was, there. Yes. I thought it was perfect. Here we are 10 years later, we're back in San Antonio. This is the year they're going to do it. And Jay Wright and Villanova had other plans, uh, burying the Jayhawks early with those three pointers, and and we we were making plans at halftime to to make our way back home, uh, <laughs> but we didn't do that this time, and it's a good thing because 15 down at halftime, you, you just can't give up on this team. Oh no, no, this was uh, this was a fun team, and 
You know, uh, I go back, John, to the Kentucky game when you know they got beat by 30-plus at home. And I remember people at the time saying, this could be a turning point in the season. I'm like, well, it better be. I mean, it better be a wake-up call of some sorts. And they were a different team ever since then. And in particular, the emergence of Remy Martin and such, too. Um, for me, this was, this was not only about getting Bill that second title, as you mentioned, but the the handprints of Bill are all over this championship from him making the necessary adjustments that they needed to to uh the recruiting class wasn't great but he was able to get the most out of them this to me spoke so well of Bill Self how he was able to pull this off it really was and, and yes that Kentucky loss at home it was game day the build up and to not even be in the game you know, to just get run out of the gym uh, was disappointing. And, and I, I remember at the time thinking, man, I'm having a hard time falling in love with this team. I think a lot of fans felt the same way. And you were sort of at a fork in the road at that point. Because remember, that was, that was a, 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 a break in the conference schedule for that game, right? And so you're, you're looking ahead and, oh, my goodness, here comes Baylor, right, a week later. I forget who they had in between, but it was just, it was so disappointing. So you're at a fork in the road. Will this team learn from this and, and grow, or will it be the beginning of a spiral downward? Well, as we know, Baylor came to town the next week and it was a light switch flipped. Kansas ran Baylor out of the uh, gym. Right. And, and, and that, that to me was, was the beginning of, of a real run. Remy Martin, I couldn't be happier for that young man, you know, as an Arizona state, Sun Devil, he, he beat Kansas twice, including on the Allen Fieldhouse floor. And he was so impressed with the atmosphere and, and you know, just the, the tradition that he said, someday I'd, I wish I could play for this team. Well, voila, here comes the transfer portal and here comes Remy Martin. And, you know, happy as well for him because he spent so much time on the bench and it looked like it was going to be a lost season. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, and, and, then you, and then you mentioned Bill Self and his, his – his ability to, to sort of bring things and get a team to peak at the right time and get the lineups. There was a feeling, even when Remy came back, would he fit in? Because at that point, right. the Jayhawks were rolling and they had a rotation that was working. And so how do you work him in? Well, it took a few games, but self did. And thankfully, because uh, Remy Martin really was a key cog in the wheel down the stretch for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're talking to John Hall of Fox 4, Kansas City, here on the Jonesport this week. Uh, John, we mentioned you were in New Orleans, the uh, championship parade there in, uh, in Lawrence uh, just the other day as well. Tell me about what was it like being around these, uh, these Jayhawk fans, both down on uh, Bourbon Street and then uh, making it way back at the championship celebration there in, in uh, Lawrence and Kansas City the last couple of days, too. Well, uh, uh True confessions, I was not in Lawrence for the parade, unfortunately. I, I had a long, already scheduled family wedding in Wichita, so I was actually out of town and making my way back uh, on that Sunday. We had some family obligations. So, uh, but I will tell you that being with fans in New Orleans, um, we, we did do a lot of fan coverage. Uh, so we, we, we attended several KU events. We, we ran into a ton of KU fans throughout New Orleans as we were in and around the Superdome or in the French Quarter. Um, I, I, it was our feeling that the Kansas and Duke fandom were the, were the, the major 
they showed up. And I yeah. think Duke, obviously, Coach K's final final, I think they were feeling that destiny, you know, as we felt maybe in 18 being in San Antonio, that there's no way they don't come out of here without ending Coach K's career with a, with a, with a win. Well, North Carolina, again, had different plans. Um, so, but, but yeah, the KU and Duke fans were, were really there. And I will tell you that the Duke fans became KU fans, uh, when, when they, when they lost those who stuck around, were not shy about, were cheering for the Jayhawks. <laughs> They're not fans of North Carolina. As you know, that's a, that's a pretty bitter rivalry. And the fact that the Tar Heels had ruined coach K's final home game, senior night, and then, uh, sent him packing, uh, his from the final four and from his career. Uh, yeah, they were Duke fans were, were cheering for KU. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, that was something else kind of the, you know, the big story, the final four, even, uh, with KU winning all was still about coach K and such. And, uh, in North Carolina's case, uh, you know, his two Roy Williams, two former teams meeting up in the final, uh, as much as there was talk about coach K and such, uh, this ended up being the, uh, the the Roy Williams Invitational here. It did, and you know everybody was wondering, did he wear a Jayhawk sticker? And and near as I could tell, I saw him before the game in the stands with his wife Wanda. He had on Carolina blue. He was in the Carolina section. Right, and, you and know, I couldn't I blame him. Those were players he no, recruited. That's right, and and I, and I will tell you that I think for KU fans, the win in San Antonio in 08 on that Saturday, and then when. Roy Williams showed up on Monday night with the sticker. I think all was forgiven. Now, personally, I, I understood why he went home. Right. I think I think probably most KU fans got that. They were disappointed, but there was there there was a section or segment of, of, of Jayhawk fans who were not happy with him at all. And but but the win over North Carolina that that year. Uh, that culminated with KU winning a, a championship and Roy Williams staying in town. He still has a lot of friends in Lawrence. He had friends there in San Antonio. I think that that settled it. I think the, the, the ghost was buried. All was well. And so seeing Roy Williams in his powder blue, including his powder blue mask, he and Wanda both were among the very few wearing masks. Um, and, and that's great. You know, they have their reasons. Uh, Nobody, I didn't hear one fan complain about it. Of course, all KU wanted was to get out of there with the win, right? And get Bill Self another title. I don't know if you saw it. There was that uh, that video that went viral. The the Karen KU fan that gave uh, Roy an earful. Oh um, no! And, and uh, I'm like, oh man, there's always going to be one out there. Yeah. Uh, Disappointed she found Roy, but nonetheless, may, so that, may, it doesn't may, represent all of us. Huh. Karen may have had a few adult beverages to help her <laughs> along. I don't know, <laughs> whatever. But no, I think you know most KU fans are fine with uh, Roy Williams, and we wish him well in retirement. Uh, he's made a few pilgrimages back to Lawrence, and he's always greeted warmly. Oh yeah, I loved it when he came back for that Iowa State game, and he was yes. recognized and such. That was cool. My my dream, we never got it. I would have loved to seen a KU North Carolina home and home before Roy retired. I thought that would have been cool. Yes. And, and, and it's not too late. He's gone obviously, but I, you know, these two schools, there's so much tradition there, right? Between right. connection between the Carolina blue and the Kansas crimson and blue. And it would be fun to, to, to dial something like that up. I don't, I don't know greater 
minds at a higher pay scales than mine will we'll, we'll figure that out. But I just think that would be a really fun thing for the fans, particularly in light of the fact that, you know, over the years, they've had some key meetings, obviously the 1957 triple overtime yeah. uh, championship, which I reminded viewers more than once was played at municipal auditorium in downtown Kansas city. Wilt Chamberlain was a Jayhawk triple overtime, disappointing loss. Wilt later would call it one of the worst losses of his career. Uh, the next year, they didn't even make the tournament in 58. Uh, and then, of course, along the way, they've met in the tournament in San Antonio, North Carolina, knocked out KU. I believe it was in, oh gosh, was it, uh, there was another, uh, I think it was in New Orleans. Oh, 97. Yeah. I don't know. 93 in, in New Orleans, maybe. I'm, I'm forgetting the date, but at any rate, we talked about it. Uh, and then, of course, in the, in, this, is, this is only the second time they've met in the championship game. And uh, lo and behold, Kansas gets the win this time. So we're, we're even up, and, but, but it's built a nice little rivalry. You have obviously the Dean Smith connection, the Roy Williams connection and more. And so, yeah, it'd be fun. Home and home would be great. Yeah. You know, all this KU stuff kind of helped uh, let go of what's going on with this Chiefs offseason. You know, I mean, the, the Tyreek yeah. Hill thing didn't hurt as much. Tyron Matthew being gone kind of got pushed aside of some sorts. I mean, it's uh, been a pretty active offseason there for the Chiefs uh, that uh, the, the the stains of sorts, don't the, the hits don't feel quite as bad, I guess, uh, with all that's gone on uh, in Lawrence. At, at well, at least at least if you're a KU fan, if you're K-State or Mizzou, maybe not so much. <laughs> but we, all, right. we all cheer for the Chiefs. I will say this about a couple of those things, a couple of your points. Uh, Tyreek Hill. He's a, he's a terrific young man. He's obviously built on speed and quickness and will forever be indebted for how he helped bring a, a world championship back to Kansas City after a 50-year absence. But he, I think Brett Veach, and this is where we say in Veach we trust, uh, Brett Veach, I think Tyreek wanted to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL, and Brett Veach looked at the landscape and the cap and said, you know, the first thing to go as you age is your speed. And he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's, he's going to age and speed will come off of that. He's not one of those big receivers that goes up and battles for the jump ball, right? He, he right. wins on speed. Um, and so Miami's getting a great speedster now and, and the next year or two. Who knows after that? I saw some stats. You know, they have all these different stats. That he was all His production was already down from a speed standpoint, uh, even just this past season with the Chiefs. So I think Brett Beach, he looked at the landscape, he looked down the road and, and the cap and, and what, what, the, what the Chiefs can do with, with the money now. Uh, they've already done some things, and I think he, he recognized that there'll be some opportunities to fill uh, the voids uh, there. They, they've already done that in one regard. Now, Tyron Matthew, again, a, a great team presence. What a leader, like having a coach on the field. Um, I've had a, an opportunity to do a charity event with him. He's just a wonderful person. Uh, but again, I think Brett Beach looked at the age and maybe production this last season. And he went out and got a guy who is a younger, uh, quicker, and probably a better tackler now than, than Tyron Matthew. Yeah, uh, Justin Reed, well, yeah. Yeah, you're going to lose – you're going to maybe lose that leadership on the field. There may be a little drop-off there, but – uh, and they're, I think, cornerback position and the secondary is an area they're still working on. And we'll see in the draft in a couple of weeks. But but yeah, I think he picked up a good one in Justin Reed. I, and I, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing that guy on the field, too. So 
I, I hope Tyron lands. I, I know he's had talks with, I think, New Orleans. There's, I think the Eagles have shown some interest. Yeah. He's got some football left in him, and any team that gets him is going to be lucky. I've Man. always thought it'd be, I'd love to have him come back, right. you know, uh, but I think, I think he, he's, his ego and his, his, his future will be somewhere else. Yeah, and, you know, for the Chiefs, the other story this offseason is everyone else around them got so much better. Right. You look at the Broncos bringing in Russell Wilson, the Chargers bringing in uh, Khalil Mack, and the Raiders bringing in Devontae Adams. This division is going to be crazy. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the Chiefs are on a run of winning the AFC West five-plus years in a row now, but – you know, I, I, I'm starting to almost tell myself, you know what, if, if, if they're a wild card team, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> no, no. I mean, let's face it. They've hosted four AFC championships, right? Right. Uh, which had never been done before. Uh, they got to two Super Bowls. Uh, we'd love to be 2-0. and oh, uh, But there's still plenty of football left for this team and for, for a quarterback that we don't want to forget about, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Uh, I still think he's obviously the best quarterback in football. Uh, you know, I will say this, the, the AFC West, our sports guy, Rob Collins and I were joking. It's pay-per-view. You yeah. ought to have to pay to watch those games compared to everybody else, because it is, it is going to be really fun to see these, these guys get out there. Russell Wilson going to Denver, that, that changes the landscape there. Right. I mean, if he can stay healthy, uh, that's the key. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It won't be as easy. You know, you don't run away with it, like you said, but it'll be fun football. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, will be, uh, certainly. John, we got got some time left, so I got to ask you, uh, the Royals uh, start off their season. Uh, always fun when uh, when baseball gets started again, and I can't see a special place for that. Well, it is, and there's nothing like opening day, and, and unfortunately I wasn't able to, to, to be out there, but obviously the buzz around Bobby Witt Jr. has yeah. been the story here. Uh, ever since uh, the Royals broke camp and he was put on the active roster and then uh, given a starting spot at third base, um, you just, you just, you, everybody is just really excited. And to, to have him come through the way he's come through defensively, he's had some key hits. Uh, the difficult thing is the pitching. And that's where, you know, they jumped out 2-0, and and now they're a game below 500, all of a sudden losing three straight. And one of the keys we've always said about this team is, and we've seen them do it in the past, you can't go into one of those eight, nine, 10 game losing streaks and find yourself out of it by June. You just can't because this town, there's so much else to do when the summer rolls around. You want to put bodies in the seats out there. And I think they will with this youth movement that they have going right now. But man, they've got to figure out the pitching situation. The loss last night, you know, in, in, uh, in St. Louis, they were rained out today as you and I speak so right. uh, the second game has been rescheduled uh you know Lynch was humming right along they were 3-3 and then he gave up a three-run home run and the Royals clawed back got it to 6-5 their offense is going to put some runs on the board I think uh and the bullpen actually did its job in that first game against St. Louis because they you know the, the Cardinals did not score again but you know, the day you lose six, five, you know, so, and that, you know, there, every, there's the game against the guardians. What was the final 17 to it was a football score, right? Those yeah. happen. You can't lose sleep over those, except the next day they come out. It's an afternoon game. And instead of winning the series outright, they lose again. Uh, and they're back to 500 before they go to St. Louis. So I will see the jury's still out. It's early. It's early. I don't want to panic, but I think that's been the one concern leading up to the season is the pitching. 
And we know they've got the defense. We know they potentially have an offense. But can they keep runs off the board? That's right. what we have to wait and see. Well, and for me, I've always said, you know, if you can be 500 at the All-Star break, you're there. You're in it. You have a shot to contend and can make a run of some sorts. And we know how young this team is. It's going to take time. If they can just hang around, uh, watch out. This team could be something special, but they can't lose too many games early. No, and there's a third wild card spot this year, right? So right. if you're 500 at the All-Star break, you know, depending on how it breaks down with the rest of the league, you're in the hunt for possibly making you know, the playoffs. And as we know as Royals fans, you get a wild card slide. You never know where it can go from there. In 14, it went to game seven of the World Series. I'm not sure this team's ready for that yet, but I do know they're they're headed in the right direction. If they get the pitching woes figured out, whether that's from the farm or with some trades, uh, you know, they're going to be in the hunt. And certainly next year and the year after will be contenders, I think. What's going on with these, uh, these stadiums? Uh, I hear – you know, the, the, the downtown ballpark idea is still being tossed out there. The Chiefs maybe even moving out the, the Kansas side of Kansas City. What's, what's going on with these, uh, these stadium rumors here? Well, let's start with, let's start with uh, the baseball side of it. Recognize that the leases for both stadiums, based on the last uh, sales tax vote that extended the leases as, as well as provided money to upgrade both stadiums, the leases expire in 31. And you think, okay, well, that's that's a long way out. But what you have to remember is to build a new stadium, if that's what you plan to do, you have to put the financing together. You have to find the location, line up the public incentives, if there are any. And that's going to be a sticking point for both teams. Um, so it takes a while. Uh, you, you can't just two years out, you know, say, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll build a new house and move into it, right? This is a whole different animal. I think the Royals are headed downtown. I think that train is rolling down the tracks. John Sherman has said all the right things. He said, we're, we're, we're studying it. We're, we're looking at it. Um, here's why we want to get, we want to put the stadium in a place that benefits the community. And by that, I mean, in terms of rehabbing or urban renewal, as well as job opportunities. So I think just reading between the lines and some things we've heard, uh, both on and off the record, I think it's going to happen. And it may happen sooner than you think. They'll have to negotiate that. What a lot of stadium ownership groups are doing around the country with new stadiums is they don't get a flat amount of money or a subsidy from the government, from city government. They get developing rights. I believe that's how Atlanta built their new stadium. Now, they went from downtown out of ways to the suburbs but they developed an area around the stadium. And if you can do that and use that, a portion of that to finance the you know, design and construction, then maybe you reduce the public subsidy. And so that might be something that's being negotiated or talked about. So I think the Royals are headed downtown. There, there will be uh, some, you know, there are folks who are fighting it. They don't, you know, they love Kaufman. I love Kaufman. I, as a kid, I went to ball games out there. Uh, and, but, I've, but I've also been in cities where, baseball is downtown and it's very vibrant you play 81 games a year really it, it, parking is not what it what it is at get ready to ride that streetcar well yes and, and they're extending <laughs> that by the way uh, to the plaza uh umkc so yeah i mean i i i think it's going to happen i i do as for the chiefs 
uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think the Kansas, the, the shot that Mark Donovan uh, fired down at the owners' meetings was they don't say these things without a purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I suspect there's a little leveraging going on there. Uh, the Chiefs, I don't think, want to leave Missouri, uh, but there are forces in Kansas who would love, developers who would love, including the state of Kansas. The legislature just passed a measure that it sports wagering. It hasn't, it hasn't been signed. It hasn't passed and been signed. It's still got some House Senate things to work out. But one of the versions provides that 80% of the revenue from sports wagering would go toward attracting a professional sports franchise. Now, who do you think that's tailored for? <laughs> Correct. The Chiefs. You, you got it. Uh, yes. So now, whether, whether, it, whether it emerges from Topeka in that form or not, I don't know. But that tells you that Kansas is most definitely interested if the Chiefs are looking in being a player. There's I think plenty the of Chiefs, land out there, too, out by the legends. Yes, out by the legends. The Chiefs this past week in testimony in Jeff City in Missouri uh, suggested that their focus now is on a feasibility study, about a half million dollar study, on remodeling. Arrowhead and staying where they are. Uh, there would be something to be said for that. If you take the Royals out, you perhaps can develop that land, or perhaps the Chiefs take over that stadium and market it as a concert venue or soccer venue to other opportunities. Uh, the Chiefs might be able to make some, you know, generate revenue uh, by developing Arrowhead because it is such a tradition rich stadium and, and the land around it, whether you demolish Kaufman or utilize it. So there's a lot of balls in the air, a, a lot of, a lot of back and forth, a lot of leveraging will go on with the chiefs and the Royals, frankly, too. Uh, but I, but, but rest assured, the chiefs are going to want their piece of the pie. Uh, it, they can't stand pat with Arrowhead. It's a beautiful stadium. The feasibility study will tell them if they can work around it and make it even better. Uh, because as you know, sports teams now generate a lot of money from suites and you know premium opportunities. All these new stadiums are built with that in mind, and that's what these teams need. Well, and, and then just putting a roof over it to be able to host so many more things that you can otherwise. And the current structure of Arrowhead, that would be very difficult to imagine putting a roof on that thing right now as is. So it would, but do do you recognize Hard Rock Stadium in Miami as the old stadium? You know, I mean, it's true. It, it was completely redesigned by, I might add, a Kansas City sports architecture firm. HOK Sports uh, had a, had a hand in that. They did a great so job with that place. Yeah, they really did. I had been to the Orange Bowl there when KU played in the Orange yep. Bowl and. I did not recognize the footprint. I mean, it's just a totally different. Now, you didn't, they didn't put a roof completely over it. Uh, you don't need one necessarily in South Florida. But what they did with the suspension and, you know, finding a way to wrap, they did put an overhang over much of the seating. There, the technology exists today, and I suspect that that'll be part of the feasibility study. Is there a way to put a roof on this that could be retractable, perhaps, that would allow the Chiefs to host the Super Bowl someday or a Final Four because that's clearly where Final Fours are going. They're not coming back to T-Mobile or the old Kemper style arenas. 
uh, they're going to be in the football stadiums. And by the way, it's a horrible way to watch a basketball game. But <laughs> that's, you know, you sell 71,000 seats versus 19,000. Right. Do the math. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, like just within the last few months, I've been to AT&T Stadium and SoFi and, yeah. you know, the, the fan experience at Arrowhead was better than both those places. But you just start looking around and you're like, I see why you're doing this. There's just more money to be made in these other options. So maybe there's a compromise where the roof can always be open for the chiefs games, but you close it to have events or something, you know, like I don't want to lose those cold weather games in January and such, but I think that's part of what makes things special at Arrowhead. Well, when you're, especially when you're playing those teams from the South, you know, the, 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 the uh, chargers, uh, from LA or the Dolphins from Miami who aren't used to, you know, the Raiders, 20 degree yeah. weather, the Chargers. Raiders now playing indoors. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's, it, it, listen, there's a lot of money at stake. A lot could happen. I'm merely speculating and sharing some of the things we're hearing here in Kansas city. Uh, and so don't take it, don't take my word for it, but keep an eye on it because I do yeah. think it's going to be fascinating. Last thing, we'll end on this. Uh, I got to tell you, John, I'm, I'm very excited that for the first time since I left KU now, I have my Saturdays in the fall open so I can finally enjoy you, enjoy uh, the the cooler uh, tailgating with you with the, your Red Coleman there on, on Saturdays. I'll have to make it out at least once or twice this fall. I hope, I hope you will. You have a spot that Red Coleman – has been with me since, well, I, I has, I mean, it truly is. It's not a Yeti. I don't pull it with a t- with wheels or it doesn't turn on or off. It's just a good old fashioned Coleman. And it, uh, it has served me well. And I, I pondered maybe upgrading a little bit, but I just can't, I can't bring myself to do it just yet. It's uh, it's perfect for what we do. And I tailgate with a group of guys who have coolers as well. So we have plenty of, uh, plenty of space and you're always welcome. We've enjoyed having you come by when you were in town and, It'll be good to have you free on a couple of Saturdays because I think KU football is trending in the right direction, too. I agree. Yeah, that was yeah. – uh, the Texas win wasn't a fluke uh, by any means. I'm excited to see what uh, Lance Leipold and company do with this program going forward. Certainly uh, some exciting times ahead. John, appreciate you joining us. I'm sure it was nice to talk about something other than inflation or rising gas prices oh. or anything like that. And uh, a great time uh, for our Jayhawks. And uh, looking forward to chatting again down, down the road. And uh, – sharing a nice cold beverage with you here in football season. Absolutely. And congratulations to you, Tyler, on uh, your move to the big D. I know you had good times in Omaha and, uh, and certainly in Lawrence at my old stomping grounds, but I think it's exciting for you what you're doing and you're doing the, you're the future of sports is digital. And, and as you know, and you're, you're right on the cutting edge. So congrats, buddy. I, I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at lpl.com. And you can also... Check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday on every podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe today and be the first to listen to the new episodes of the Coach Bo Knows show as Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. It's been a busy couple of weeks and uh, 
this time of year is always good right before the tax deadline. We get people calling us up saying, hey, can we can we get money in our IRA, the IRA for the uh, tax deduction? I'm like, yep, all the way till Monday. So if you're one of those folks, you need that last minute tax deduction, give us a call. We can still do it. I am uh, one of those folks that uh, is waiting till the 11th hour to do my taxes, uh, as I do about every year. And uh, so I am right there in that that uh, category, what you speak of. But uh, for more information, OAGKS.com, O'Connor Advisor Group, and a bowl will get you set up from there. And that's the best way to contact us, OAGKS.com. Hit the contact us on there. Comes straight to me. All right, Bo, uh, let's start out with some unfortunate news. Uh, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, you know, passed away tragically this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, I'm not here to do an Adam Schefter type tribute, uh, you know, to him and such. That's a whole other thing. We'll get to that here in a second. But Dwayne Haskins, uh, a, a guy that seemed to be a good teammate, uh, had a good college career and such. Uh, you know, I've heard nothing but positive things about Dwayne Haskins, and you know, his time in Washington, maybe you know, he and Ron Rivera didn't quite gel, but it seemed like him and Mike Tomlin had a good relationship and that things were headed in the right direction. And, you know, he had a, a family and such, wife and kids. Uh, uh, very, very sad news. I feel bad for for the people that he was close to and such that really have spoken so highly of him, over him the last couple of days here. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mentioned this on my pod on Monday. It's just, that's just young, 24. I'm yeah, that's younger than me. Yet. I mean, not quite 25 yet. I mean, um, that's just youth. It's not youth wasted. It's just, oh, my goodness. I mean, it it hurts to see that because there's people who love him. And he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's just a a bad incident. Guys, cars on the side of the road. He decides to get help. And, my God, something bad happens. And my heart bleeds for the young man and for anybody who – his friends, relatives, or anybody to go through that. It's just, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Uh, yeah, uh, certainly uh, sad. And uh, Dwayne Askins, uh, you know, I look at, even though that we didn't see him on the field for a long time in college, with what he did when uh, when Urban Meyer was suspended and Ryan Day took over that offense, and they really aired it out that year, and he set the Ohio State passing touchdown record. That kind of changed football in the Big Ten. They uh, started doing what we've seen in the Pac-12 and Big 12 and the SEC the last few years. They were kind of the last ones to catch up. Dwayne Haskins, uh, for one year, his impact is going to be felt for a long yeah. time there in the Big Ten. Yeah, he had a 50-touchdown season, and that's just unheard of in the Big Ten. And he had to go to the NFL when he went. I mean, you don't – don't stay an extra year after having a monster season like that. A great college player. Think about how good Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins beat out Joe Burrow. Yes. To be the quarterback at Ohio State. That is a lofty statement, but it's a true statement. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, I would say is that it's not something where you look back and say, well, they obviously made the wrong decision. No, I mean, he did no. everything that he was asked and then some. He was the right quarterback for that He moment. was the right quarterback for that team that season and had an incredible season. He wasn't the right place for Joe Burrow. But if you go back and look, I mean, if you go back and look at who Dwayne Haskins was in high school and in college, you look at his tape. Um, yeah, 
there's a reason that he was picked ahead of Joe Burrow at the time. And it's from the guy who's there's no bigger Joe Burrow fan than me. But right. I, was, I don't blame Ohio State for doing anything they did. He was a great, great college quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And, uh, you know, the, the big story that's I, – I, I, it's so sad to me that it's kind of overshadowed it of some sorts yeah, I know is, uh, is how Adam Schefter addressed this. And I was so disappointed in the way Shefty went about that. And, and uh, you know, I, I know that, you know, Shefty did apologize and did a lengthy, uh, you know, eulogy to him. And, and I, I think that Shefty was sincere in his apology. I, I, I do. And maybe it was a little late and such. But even – even with that, if we give Shefty the benefit of the doubt and how that was handled, and you know that he was, if we give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was sincere, with that being said, there was still a whole lot that went into this that that you just say to yourself, you know, what was he thinking? And I feel like this has been one too many times now with Shefty too. I mean, Shefty is as good as anybody in the business at breaking news, Bo, but. When it comes to the humanity and all that, and you know the the way you know things are, are handled and such, uh, the uh, you know as far as the um, the the way that Shefty goes about it is it, so un- unprofessional at, at times. I mean, it, it's disappointing. Yeah. So you know, I'm no big fan of Adam Shefty. Right. Uh, it goes to me. It goes back to the Aaron Rodgers stuff. But um, I thought how he handled that was really poor. And I think it would have been just as easily for that deleted, now deleted tweet for him to say, he was talking about struggles to have come out and said, you know, famed college quarterback, you know, how do you, you got to think about how do you do this in a positive spin when you're dealing with anyone's death? Right. And I just think that I think Adam Schefter just gets so far ahead of himself about breaking the news. Yeah. And you're right here. There's nobody in the NFL, but, I think he gets so far ahead of himself that he then tries to put things together. He maybe says something in this case, that's just not, just not proper. Um, right. You know, I just, and I know that he just signed a big extension with ESPN. $9 million. Yeah. They paid, ESPN paid $9 million for that tweet. Yeah. Think about that. I mean, that I had just heard when I saw the tweet, it was the night before I had heard, that he got the big extension and it was eight or nine years. I think you're right at 9 million. I know him and Woj both got big new contracts, both paying them multi-millions a year. And I get it. ESPN wants to be the information people and they're paying Adam Schefter in that case because they want to get him away from the gambling companies. I right. mean, you know, these gambling companies are kind of come for those guys. Right. But I think at times Adam Schefter doesn't think about what he's doing. Right. And I think this was a perfect course of it, a perfect example of it. And it's a shame because a young man died. And right. it was insensitive to state it how Schefter stated it. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and on top of that, too, you know, we, we mentioned whether it was the way he handled, you know, Tom Brady's retirement and – now this situation and Aaron Rodgers and stuff keeps piling up one thing after another. And now we've seen the backlash from players, whether it was Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, uh, among others here, eventually for Schefter, 
when do players stop talking to him? When does he start losing that context? When does that start to affect his bottom line? Eventually, this got to catch up to him, right? You would think so, but so far we haven't seen any real examples. I mean, uh, the, the, the disgraceful one to me was their Rodgers on draft day. Thing. That was the one where I was like, he even admitted there was no story. Like that he kind of, the way he put it, he didn't make it up. He was inferring two or three things together. Right. And he hijacked the entire coverage of an NFL draft. Right. Um, what I, I have a problem with that. And I think that these, you would think that the players and the people who are affected by this day to day would eventually stand up and say, no, you're not getting this with me. But you know what? Talking to Adam Schefter is going to get you more likes, more clicks, you know, and these, these players are trying to strike and get as much of their money as they can too. They right. want information. They want to be important. Talking to Adam Schefter, getting on ESPN, that's going to be a big deal. So I, it's a twofold situation there. It's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, I would like to see teams or, or players stand up and say, we're not talking to him. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see that, frankly. Yeah. I think these last couple of things that he's done are just is too much. It's a bridge I mean, too far for me personally. What I wonder, too. With ESPN paying Schefter $9 million, Bo, what are they getting from Adam Schefter for that $9 million? Because it's not like that you're going to ESPN for these breaking news stories. He's putting it on a free public platform that the rest of us, that everybody can see here. I mean, it'd be one thing if they're paying $9 million, but he has to put it on ESPN and exclusive to that. Are they just paying him that money just to keep him away from the gambling companies? What is ESPN thinking about? I think that's a big part of it this time around. I think with him and Woj, I think it's a big reason that they paid those two guys so much money is they don't want, you know, what's happened. Think about what's happened. We've seen the, the models working. We've seen Dan Levitard go to DraftKings. Right. We've got FanDuel with uh, McAfee. McAfee. And how popular are those two shows? especially how big is McAfee become, right? Could a company jump in, say it was Caesars, say it was MGM, and they wanted to do something with, you know, uh, Woj and Schefter, you know, that's going to draw a lot of people to your, it's the long game. It's going to draw a lot of people to your apps. And these gambling companies know once they've got you, they've got you. And it's going to all be nationwide at some point. So I think this is ESPN trying like hell to keep Adam Schefter, to keep Woj away from the gambling companies. I mean, like, you know, with, with those two, for example. So, you know, let, let's take the NBA draft with Woj. Yeah. Woj breaks every draft pick before it's announced on TV, right? Yep. And that was – that was kind of where Woj's appeal started, where he got his break was in the draft and such. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, well, wait, wouldn't it be just so much more valuable if instead of Woj breaking the news on Twitter, if you put him on camera and say, here's what the news is? I mean, like, that's what I don't understand. Why does this have to be so tri- Twitter driven? Yeah, I, 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 because we all want the neatest, fastest thing. We all want the information today. Hey, I'm caught up in it too. I watched the NFL draft and I'm waiting and you're, there's 30 seconds where we see ding, 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 and the pick is in. And what are we all doing? We're all checking because they're going to go to commercial. They're going to do something. 
We'll take one more minute before we know. And what are we doing? We're all checking to see what Schefter said. We're all checking to see what Ian Rappaport says. Whoa, join us the NBA. And we're checking those things on Twitter. It's because we have the attention deficit disorder. Right. It's us. We're the problem. Right. Yeah, we're we're the we're the problem. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Bo, uh, moving on. Uh, the Washington Commanders, Dan Snyder, uh, the federal situation now, and withholding money from from stakeholders and such. You know, other NFL owners. Yeah. You know, Dan Snyder. Uh, you know, he always shoots himself in the foot. You know, all the time. Stuff piles up over and over again. And other owners like Jerry Jones have had his back and kind of taken up for him and such. But now that you're affecting other owners' bottom lines, we know about, you know, the investigations that involve the, you know, the racism allegations or, you know, how they handled, you know, the cheerleaders and such. But once you start affecting the bottom line, that's when I, I think the other owners of the NFL are probably going to draw the line here. This probably is finally the beginning of the end for Dan Snyder. What say you? Okay, so I, I have two beliefs here. So I, uh, you know, the, the news as we record this today, uh, the House Oversight Committee has put out a report saying, and the quote on here, I'll, I'm going to read this quote if I may. Go ahead. Uh, the commanders participated in, quote, a multi-year process of altering records to hide revenue that led to more profits for the organization. So the two big things we're talking about is one, not paying the visiting teams all their money on ticket revenue. And now two, this scandal that has been broken with uh, up to upwards of $5 million it's owed to over 2000 season ticket holders. And this all came from at a congressional hearing, a closed door congressional hearing, a former employee of the Washington Commanders, a longtime employee. He provided them with spreadsheets, with emails, everything. So I'm of two minds about this. Now, I understand the NFL is starting their own investigation. They're hiring the former SEC, um, the SEC head of the SEC. That's not the Southeastern Conference. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're not talking about the SEC, Southeast oh. Conference. We're talking about the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Probably my not going to get involved in this. <laughs> um, so I look at it two ways. One, I look at it as, okay, the owners have said enough of your bullshit. Now you're fucking with our money, and that's what we're not going to put up with. We can deal with the, the public relations nightmares because in the end, the NFL is bulletproof public relations wise. Right. Going back to concussions, going back to all the stuff, whether it's, you know, um, the stuff that the commanders have gone through, other allegations. Once they start playing the games, no one seems to care. Mm-hmm. But now you got people arguing about the money. You know, it's like the, the, the casino. Don't, don't skim the skim. You know, there's not going to be any leakage here. If the owners are willing to stand by and say, okay, now you're messing with our money. We're going to get you out the paint. But here's my question. If Dan Snyder's doing this, surely somebody else is. Sure. And if other people are doing it, then this whole committee that the NFL, this whole hearing, that the committee, I'm sorry, the, the whole thing the NFL is doing in their investigation is a red herring. It's just to try to get out in front of the PR piece of this. Right. 
I think that's the most likely thing. I think the only way, the only way that Daniel Snyder gets told he has to sell his team is if Congress gets involved. Now they do have the right to because the NFL has an anti-tax or an antitrust uh, agreement and they have an exemption from the Sherman Antitrust Act. If for some reason the NF, the Congress says, ah, we don't like this. And his oversight committee says, well, let's take this to the full house. The house can revoke that. Yeah. And if they threaten the NFL with taking away their antitrust exemption, then the owners will say, no, that's too much. Snyder, you're out of here. Until then, I don't think Snyder gets, a, gets, a, gets more than a slap on the wrist. Man. I really don't. Funny. I just, because there's other bodies buried somewhere that he can unbury. And if he's doing this, somebody else is too. You know, I know that this Washington commanders or football team, whatever you want to call them, has not been worth anything. You know, they've played terrible football for 20 plus years now. But even them and all that they've been through and these investigations and, you know, the, the bad PR and everything, they're still worth four five billion dollars. I mean, it is, you know, it, eventually they will change ownership hands at some point, maybe not yeah. in the, you know, quick future, but it might, you know, down the line and such. It, it's going to take somebody to the wealth of, you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or something, I mean, to, to be able to buy this team. I mean, we're talking about now that NFL teams, it's a new level of wealth to get to these these ownership stakes, especially yeah. in these big market teams such as Washington. Yeah, and it's going to take – one person cannot buy an NFL franchise now. No. Elon Musk doesn't want the headache of owning the Washington football team. You know, there was – you know, and I'm the one – I think I've said it on here with you before – you know, Jeff Bezos should buy this team. Jeff Bezos does not want to spend $4 billion on buying that team. These teams are now being bought by conglomerations of these special purchase acquisitions. It's a group of people who come together. They're all multi-billionaires or they're, you know, multi-hundred millionaires. And they all put in money and there's one person at the top. You know, right now we know that, uh, for instance, the entertainer Byron Allen is putting a team together trying to buy the Denver Broncos. Right. There's talk that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning both want to get involved in ownership and that they have the kind of money to at least get things started. They don't have the money to buy a team. They have to get the rich people with them. Plus, you get this good old boy network. These owners get to say who can be in. You know, Major League Baseball wouldn't let Mark Cuban in. Right. You know, the NFL is not going to let somebody in. It's going to be a, going to be a wild card. The one wild card was Al Davis. And they got, and as soon as he was gone, Mark Davis has been stood tall and he stands in the corner and he doesn't, he does not rock the boat. Right. And that's what we're going to see with these ownerships. We're not, we're going to see a couple teams change hands in the next few years. The Broncos will soon. Um, I would imagine if this happens with Washington team, you know, the commanders, you know, maybe this happens, but it's going to take some, not, not just one person, but a conglomerate. Right. And, and we're going to see corporate-owned teams. Right. The, the, the family-owned teams are going out the door. Yeah. And what I think we, we, I talked about this on my podcast was that at some point, teams like the Cincinnati Bengals um, or maybe even the Baltimore Ravens, who are family-owned, 
they're not going to be able to afford to keep their teams. Right. When they have to go sign these half billion dollar deals with quarterbacks. It's going to take someone with so much money. And there's not that many people. Yeah. And these good old boys aren't going to let everybody in. You know, Jerry Jones is swinging the biggest hammer. He is the most powerful man in sports. He's the most powerful man in the NFL. And as long as he's got Goodell doing his bidding, and as long as he's got Daniel Snyder's back, Daniel Snyder ain't going nowhere. Yeah. And the NFL owners, NFL owners let Jerry be the voice for them. Yeah, he makes him be the most outspoken. He's been the money guy since Jerry Jones came along. The amounts of money that they are making is ridiculous. It's a printing press on an NFL franchise, more so than any other sport. I mean, if you look at it, ratings in every sport is decreasing. People are cutting the cords. They're not watching programming the way they were. But what's the one thing, the one program, the one entertainment that is increasing every year? It's the NFL. Yep. There's only 32 owners. Yeah. Um, Derek Carr, three-year extension. Bo, um, if Devontae Adams doesn't come to town, I don't think this deal happens. I think this was a response to Devontae Adams is here. This draft class doesn't look great when it comes to quarterbacks. The Raiders are all in for right now. Yeah, this is the cost of doing business for a quarterback now, $40 million a year. <laughs> Derek Carr just got $40 million a year. And we knew he was going to get it. We, we said it here. We said it here two weeks ago. Yeah. That if you're right. You're spot on. When the Raiders made the trade for Devontae, yeah, and it was mostly because – he wanted to play with his college teammate, and right. they thought, okay, well, now – because what do we all think? When they traded for Devontae Adams, we're all like, well, they're going to have to go get a quarterback now. But then we saw the – I think it was an Instagram post the next day of the two of them together. Yeah. We knew right then and there he ain't going nowhere. No. He came there to play with Derek Carr. He came there to play with Derek Carr. And so ownership had to be in on this. The, the, the new coaches had to be in on this. You know, the person whose career is now on this is Josh McDaniel. Yeah. This is it. He's going to be judged on Derek Carr now. And, you know, you and I have had the Ryan Tannehill rule for a long time now on this podcast. Does Derek Carr pass the Ryan Tannehill rule? No, I would take Tannehill over Carr right now. Yeah, I mean, I like they're kind of in the same group. I did say on my pod, I think we got to move the, 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 the cursor up a little bit. And maybe it's not. Tannehill now, maybe it is Derek Carr. Derek Carr or better. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that I don't. He's Derek Carr is always going to have better stats than Ryan Tannehill, but I think Ryan Tannehill is a better football player. Where but I'm I, not sure of that either. I mean, like I, where I give the style. Raiders credit on this deal yeah. is the fact that it's only three years. Yeah. I think they were very smart in, okay, if we're going to do this, but we're not going to do this for a long time, I think it's a win-win for both sides. Derek Carr, no one else was going to pay him that money he just got. And the Raiders, if Carr doesn't play well, it's not going to sting as bad with it being a three-year contract. Yeah, I think that, I mean, he's 31 now. Devontae Adams is 30. So I think it's one of those, you got both of them for three years. It's it's one of those – these two were handcuffed together 
and they're going to have to be what you build a franchise around. Um, as I'm looking at this now, uh, I think, man, it's it, it's going to be hard to move on from Devontae Adams in, the, in a few years, but with Derek Carr there, if you can get a young guy in the next two or three, then you can replace Derek Carr. Maybe that helps you with Devontae when he's 33, 34. But yeah, I mean, Derek Carr, I don't see him being an effective guy at 35 or 36. He isn't that talented now. He's not terrible. I mean, he's not out there and he's not the worst quarterback in the league. He's the worst quarterback in his division. Right. But he's just, he's he's a guy in the middle. And we haven't, do we know if a guy in the middle can win a Super Bowl? If that's your goal. No, I think the move by the Raiders here says they're content with being a wild card team. Yeah, I think, and maybe it's they're thinking to get into the get into the playoffs. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really hard in, in the in the AFC West. I mean, you you kind of all have to play for the wild card because one team is going to dominate. It isn't going to dominate, but one team is going to be better than everybody each year. No one in that division team- is getting the number one overall seed. No, and no one's going to get, you're right, no one's getting the one overall seed, and one team's going to end up being the team each year, and it's going to come down to injuries certain years. It's going to come down to, you know, what's, whose franchise quarterback doesn't play particularly well some season. What if you have to change coaches? You know, if the Chiefs had to get rid of Andy Reid because of health issues in two seasons. You know, or if he ate too many cheeseburgers, you know, or if Russell Wilson twists his ankle real hard, he can't play, you know, half a season. Right. You know, you're playing for the wild card. And if you happen to get the division so you get a home game, great. And I think that's how the Raiders are looking at it. Yeah. Uh, Baker Mayfield spoke publicly for the first time since the Deshaun Watson trade and says that he was 100% disrespected by the Cleveland Browns. And he was asked about his next destination. He said about a week and a half ago, he thought he was going to be with the Colts. But now he thinks he's probably going to end up with the Seattle Seahawks. Bo, what do you make of the comments from Baker Mayfield there? Uh, The number one thing for me is I I appreciate his honesty. Yeah, he was honest. He was disrespectful. If you're the franchise quarterback, he was thinking – if you go back, let's say four months to early yeah. December, he's looking at trying to get an extension. Right. He's only got because he's in the Derek Carr situation. He's only got one more year under contract. Right. So he's looking at it saying, Hey, I want this extension. My draft class, him and Lamar, are going to get it. And we all thought that Baker was going to get an extension. It turns out. Boy, things changed. The end of the end for him in Cleveland was Odell Beckham's dad. Yeah. And, and what happened there? Should he feel disrespected? Yeah. I think the other part of the quote I saw was that he was said he was uh, he was told one thing and they did a complete a complete did another. And if they told him, if if the Browns told Baker at some point recently they were going to extend him, and then this Deshaun Watson thing came along. Yeah, I see where he's coming from. I don't think he's lying. But I also think if you're Cleveland, and let's just talk in terms of football here, okay? Let's not talk about the -the off-the-field stuff. If you got Baker Mayfield, you got to give him an extension, or someone hands you Deshaun Watson's talent, football-wise, who do you take? Sure. 
I mean, I, I, the off the field stuff aside, I mean, again, that's, and we all know I'm not a Deshaun. See, that's the thing that bothers me when they say we want an adult in the quarterback room and you trade out Baker Mayfield for Deshaun Watson. For Deshaun it's Watson. the off the field stuff that gets me. Football yeah, wise, no one's arguing at all. That's yeah. the right football yeah. move 100%. But the off the field stuff and knowing yeah. that he's going to be suspended and yeah. the slap in the face that it is to women and such, to me, that's what grinds my gears. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I think that that's, I think that's a fair, com- a fair complaint to say that I don't like this situation. Um, as far as where's Baker Mayfield go, I think Seattle's probably the place. You know, um, I th- there is another team. They won't be able to, to trade for him. But if Baker gets released like this seems to be headed, doesn't this have written the Pittsburgh Steelers on it that he ends up that. there in Pittsburgh, he gets to play Cleveland twice a year, and he gets his chance for revenge, and he goes to a team that is stable and they know how to handle uh, you know, quarterbacks and, you know, an already established system. Like, I think he could, he could go to Pittsburgh. And he's, he could succeed. I think he'd be better than what big Ben was last year. Well, and I think he could be, and it could be, I mean, unfortunately the situation arises this past week is what happened this weekend, but you know, they're going to need a quarterback, whether he's going to be a backup to Mason Rudolph or, or whatever, but it's also a place they're going to draft a quarterback. So he could be – that's where it's going to be. Baker's going to go somewhere where he's going to be not necessarily a one-year and let's see. It's going to be somewhere where they either have a young quarterback or they're going to draft a young quarterback. And he's going to be the guy for one season. You think he's and a stopgap quarterback? I do. I, I do. And, 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 and that's okay. He plays well enough. Someone might give him a chance next season. And that could be the New York Giants – you know, with Daniel Jones as their quarterback, they seem committed to that. They may feel differently in, in 12 months. You know, that could be the New Orleans Saints. That could be the Carolina Panthers. I mean, there's places that a year from now, if they don't draft a quarterback, and this is not a great quarterback class. No. Or they draft somebody and they go, this guy ain't worth it. Baker could be an issue, could be a good guy. See, um, I, I disagree. I think that whether it's Seattle or Pittsburgh – you know, teams that don't have that answer at quarterback yet, he could be the guy they turn to long-term if he proves on the field. I think he yeah. can he can earn himself a long-term yeah. solution with his play on the field somewhere where where he lands. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a chance of that, sure. I don't think he's good enough to do that here, honestly, either. I just don't think he's – I think he's – we've seen Baker Mayfield – and we saw it again in their game against Kansas City this year. We've seen the best of Baker. Baker at his best is very good. But we've also seen him with a lot of tools around him and him not play well at all. Yeah. And we've seen where, you know, again, and I, I, I go back to the Beckham thing. You know, and these guys are dropping. Beckham leaves. He, and Beckham, Beckham was the problem. And Beckham was the problem. And then he goes to L.A. He's a model citizen. He wins Super Bowl. You know, that reflects badly on Baker to me. Mm-hmm. It does. I mean, Baker couldn't get that guy involved in the offense. How good is that guy? You know, the same thing, Jarvis Landry. You didn't get him involved in the offense the way you probably should have. I, I think that's going to hurt Baker Mayfield. I think that he can get a bigger contract 
in the right situation. I don't know where the situation is, but I do think it's going to be a one-year improve it. But he may not even be a starter this year. Speaking of uh, Jarvis Landry, um, him, Tyron Matthew, Stephon Gilmore, all Pro Bowl players Mm -hmm. um, in recent years, still remained unsigned. What's the deal with those three guys? Why have they not found a home yet? Well, I think the the Matthew thing. I think I think originally he was going to be. A, I think he was going to stay with the Chiefs. I, I do. I think that you know I brought out. I did a thing where I said the Chiefs in the offseason kind of had a three prong attack. Three things they had to do. They had to one figure out the Orlando Brown situation. Figure out they were going to extend Matthew and get Tyreek Hill an extension. Well, they got Brown. They got him taken care of. On a, on a tag. On a tag. They're going to work. That's going to work itself out. They're going to work that thing out. He's too good to, to put him on a tag and then him not get something sooner than later, especially the left tackle. It's too important. Yeah. Um, and then they trade Matt, They trade Hill because of the, the money. It's just not too much money. And they go in and get someone cheaper. The day the Chiefs find someone cheaper to play Matthew's role. And Justin uh, Reed, yeah. Yeah, I think with the situation with Matthew, it's because he's a safety. If he was a corner, it'd be a little different. That's why Gilmore surprises me. It, it surprised me with both those guys. They're not on roster somewhere. They're probably looking for the right situation. They'll get signed. They'll get some money. Both of them will. They'll get top money. Um, but isn't the money starting to run out, though? Well, there's always a way. There's always a way, my friend. I keep hearing uh, people say the salary cap's a myth. Yeah, well, according to my New Orleans Saints, it is. I mean, somehow they went from seventy million over to nineteen under. Um, there's still, let me look here. Oh gosh, there's still a dozen teams at fifteen million and, and more in available salary cap space. So yeah, you can work it out if you wanted to. Um, we'll see. I I, I think. As a New Orleans Saints fan, I was really hoping Tyron Matthew was not going to get out of the building last week when he visited New Orleans. And he had a lot of great things to say. He says they don't need him. And I was like, yes, they do. <laughs> Keep your ass there and sign a deal. <laughs> um, but I, someone's going to get Tyron Matthew. Someone's going to get Stephon Gilmore. And they're going to get players that are going to contribute to a winning team. I think a lot of it also is they're not going to go to – you know, they're not going to end up in Miami. They're not going to end up in Houston or Carolina or Detroit or the Jets. These teams that do have a lot of salary cap space, it's going to take someone getting creative with some money. Yeah. Figuring it out. They want to go to winning teams too. Yeah. Um, last thing before we uh, wrap up, the let's talk about the USFL and then the XFL. Starting with the USFL, starts this uh, weekend – Fox owns the league and they're partnering with NBC to air the games. Going to do a big simulcast uh, this weekend on Fox and NBC. And Bo, the the USFL, you know, to me, this doesn't feel like what the XFL did a couple of years ago. Yes, you, you carry on the same name of the, you know, the USFL, which was the most successful non-NFL league ever, you know, back in the 80s and such. But it feels like one of those in-name only things. I mean, the only thing that from a creative standpoint that they've done is uh, 
you know, they're, they're going to have a way that the ball can automatically detect if it's a first down or not, some glow technology, but I haven't seen the pizzazz. I want it to work. I want to see a minor league football league work of some sort. So I'm going to watch, but um, I don't know what makes this league special. What, what makes it stand out other than just being football in the spring? Well, I don't know what the expectation is other than football in the spring. I mean, that's, really what the expectation is at this point, right? I mean, I think the XFL and the USFL are both trying to be the feeder system to the NFL. Uh, They're doing it different ways. I mean, USFL is going directly to Fox and Fox is going to own the the thing. Uh, The USFL, if I understand, is working with the NFL PA to do some things and to get some tryouts and some different looks. They're not starting until 2023. Um, That's the XFL. That's the XFL. I'm sorry. You're right. It was the XFL. USFL is owned by by Fox. Um, But um, yeah, I just think that I I don't know what anybody's expectation is. You know, it's more programming because we have to fill programming somewhere. So so here's my expectation. Let me put it this way then. So like the XFL, what, what caught my intrigue, what I thought they did a really good job of standing out was the way that they changed up the rules and the access, you know, interviewing players right after they scored on the sidelines. You know, they, we, we yeah. saw a few FCC violations of what players said, you know, in that 2020 season. And, you know, the, the way that they changed up the kickoff and then the, the, the two-point conversion attempts and the, the way they did that where you had the chance to go for one, two, or three or – overtime shootout style with two-point conversions. I mean, the rules were so advanced beyond anything we had ever seen before. To an extent, it was a little gimmicky, but it was entertaining. It was something different. To me, with this USFL thing, okay, you got to glow football. Okay, I guess that's cool. But I haven't heard anything about them trying something different, trying to change the game at all. That's where I was disappointed so far before this USFL even starts. Yeah, I, I agree with you a lot of what you're saying there. I see that. Um, I thought the XFL last year, was it last year or was it 2020? 2020, right before the COVID. 20, before, right, right, because COVID killed it. Right. I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, I think it made it. I, I, I do I too. I loved a lot of what they're doing. And now they're not as tied to having to have a rating. Because now you've got companies that just need content. Right. They're going to have the ad sales one way or the other. It's just, it doesn't have to be the most top rated thing. We just need something to fill the space, right. especially with streaming apps now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think there'll be a place for both. The XFL seems to be the more innovative of the two. Yes. And bringing you know, back a, Dean Blandino. Yeah. The, the coaching, the coaches they brought in, uh, there's a couple of names on that list. I was like, wow. Wade Phillips, Bob Stoops. Those are the two that stood out to me. I love Bob Stoops and Wade Phillips, son of bum, is a legend. I mean, that dude is – Wade Phillips needs to be on the sideline in his dad's coat and, or, or his dad's hat if it's too hot, you know. Just – I love me some Wade Phillips. And he's never been a great head coach. I know he was a head coach a couple of times. He was never great. But that dude is just universally respected as well, as is Bob Stoops. And we've seen what Bob Stoops, whether it was two years ago in the XFL or this past year when he coached as the interim coach at Oklahoma at the bowl game, he still knows how to coach a football game. Yes. And I think it plays well to what he can do. 
He doesn't want the he doesn't want to build a program. He just wants to coach eight games. Right. That's great. You know, so I I think the XFL is gonna be more exciting. I think it's gonna be a better a better brand of football when it's all said and done because of those those new things they're doing. The USFL, they're gonna it, it's programming for Fox. I mean, it's no different than having the big three in basketball in the summer. I don't think the two leagues can exist. I think at the end of the day, one of these will survive. Which one do you think it'll be? My money's on the XFL. I like Nobody the direction of what has already been established. Dwayne Johnson mm. and uh, you know his team, I feel mm. like, have made a lot of smart decisions. It feels like he's riv- living out ballers in real life, except he owns a football league. He's not an agent. Yeah. Well, you know, he's he's partial owner. You know, his 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 agent is the other owner. Right. You, you know who that his is. His ex-wife, right. Ex-wife. Jenny Garcia's his ex-wife. I was um we were joking on my podcast about it, and I said, you know, I want I've never had an ex-wife. I only have a current wife, and I love my wife. Love you, babe. Um, I do not ever want to have an ex-wife, but if I do ever have an ex-wife, I want it to be a relationship like The Rock has with his ex-wife, how they just get along beautifully. She's still his business manager. That's awesome. Right. And like, I, I don't know how you do that. That's incredible. So, but uh, yeah, I think because of those kind of factors that they're, you know, they put their own money in this. They got some people to help them and they, it's going to be innovative. And they don't have to deal with Vince McMahon anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought Vince had a lot of good ideas, but he clearly wasn't invested for the long haul. Yeah. It, well, you know what? Vince McMahon, the second time around, was smart getting Oliver Luck involved. And it right. gave him a lot of cachet up front because people who know, know Oliver Luck. They trust him. Right. Vince uh, screwed Oliver Luck, which is about par for the course for Vince McMahon. So. Right. I'd like to see Oliver Luck be the next Big 12 commissioner. That's a whole other story. Is there going to be a Big 12 in a few years? I think so. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> they could use someone like Oliver Luck to help them at this point. They're going to need help. Yeah. The next Big 12, if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about Bowlesby stepping aside now. I think it's a good deal for the for the Big 12. Oh, yeah. They uh, have to have he's someone. He's going out on top, Kansas national champs. <laughs> he's got, hey, they got to have someone with some vision in that job. Whoever they bring in, it better be someone with some vision and someone who's not afraid to rock the boat and someone who can say who can be a leader, yeah. Because otherwise, they're going to get picked apart in the future too. Yeah. Uh, one more note on this XFL USFL thing, the minor league football. Um, what I would say, Bo, is that if you're not rooting for minor league football to succeed, you're not a true football guy. Like more football is a win for everybody. I mean, we saw with the XFL a couple of years ago of how involved those fan bases were. And I know the USFL won't be the same because everything's in Birmingham and they shift gears to Canton yeah. you know, to finish it and such. It's not going to feel the same compared to the XFL that's you know going to have home teams and be all across the country and such. But if you're not on board with this, if you're not watching these games and, and caring about this, I mean, by all accounts, I, I would say you're not, you're not serious about football and you're not, you're not a serious football fan. Well, I, it's going to be hard to be a casual fan of the XFL. Like it's, that's going to be the issue is that 
there are casual fans and then there are diehard fans. If you are a diehard football person, person who's like you, like me, then yeah, this is going to be important, especially with the XFL next year. Um, if you're the casual fan, it's just something else on TV. And so I, I'm not fully on there with you on that, but I do see where you're coming from. Um, I just look at it, especially in football, that there's there's two levels of fandom. Yeah. There's the diehard. There's people like you, like me, people who listen to this podcast. And then there are the people who, you know, are your, like your aunt and your uncle, who just are, you know, I'm just using that as a general phrase, like my aunt and uncle, who are just, hey, if it's on and, you know, if, my, if their team is on, they're watching. Right. You know, or they're watching the Sunday night game. You know, but that's, and that's the majority of football fans. Right. Believe it or not. I mean, the numbers just dictate that. Right. So, yeah. He's Coach Bull, Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. Bo, appreciate the time as always. What's Thank coming you. up on the show here the next couple of days? You got a big interview next week, right? We do. We're going to have that out. I will go ahead and make the announcement here. We made it on my podcast. It's coming out Friday. So Friday's pod, we got uh, the point five pod and myself and Ellen. We're talking a whole bunch of football. A lot of the same stuff we just talked about. We get into it a little deeper. Uh, we get in deep on the commanders and the stuff that's going on there. We got in deep on the uh, Tom Brady um the Tom Brady stuff with the Dolphins and the Bucks and what else happened and talking a lot about that. So real football heavy this week on Friday's pod. Monday's pod, I've got a great interview with Micah Brown. Uh, Micah is a former Kansas football player who is now a documentaries director. He's got a brand new documentary series on Peacock uh, with the WWE called the WWE Evil. So talk all about it. We're going to get into his other podcast, his other, his other documentary work in the past. It's a really great interview, and I'm looking forward to getting out to everybody. Micah was incredible. That'll be out on Monday's podcast. There you have it. Looking forward to it. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. I do want to talk some Major League Baseball. The MLB season is officially underway, and uh, one week already in the books. Uh, we wondered if we would even get to this point with the lockout that was going on and and uh, here we are. Baseball games are being played. Uh, I was in Anaheim a couple of days ago. Pretty cool scene out there. My first time at that ballpark. Uh, got to see uh, Archie Bradley, who actually went to my high school there, Broken Arrow, uh, play for the Angels. So that was a pretty cool sight and such. And, and uh, certainly enjoyed that. But uh, overall, Bo, a lot of changes this year. Let's start there. No more shifts. Playoffs are expanded. Universal DH, a um, lot of stuff going on in Major League Baseball. And then you got this dumb slide rule that's been in place that cost a Rangers a game earlier this week. Uh, what do you make of all these changes here? Well, I mean, baseball is one of those things that they're getting away from the um, – they're getting away from a lot of the traditions. And they're saying, hey, we've got to bring in more people to watch the game. Um you know, there's the changes in the shift and, and refresh my memory. I thought it was in 2023 they were banning defensive shifts. Uh, I, I thought it was effective immediately, but no, I don't. Um, I thought it was next year because because next year they're going to have the larger bags, the pitch clock, and the shift changes. Okay. So maybe it's next year, but nonetheless, yeah. the, the shift ban is coming. Yeah, it's coming. The, the big changes will be next year because um, they're going to have that pitch clock thing as well. And then the, the bigger bags. Um, 
that'll be a difference as well. Um, but yeah, I they're they're trying to do safety. They want to keep you know they want to keep games moving. The big thing on Major League Baseball is game times. You know, I I joke you know that I was watching the Red Sox Yankee game on um, when was that? It was Friday, and I said this is going to be a four hour game. It was you know and it, because they're all four hours when it's those two teams, and it's because of the way they play. And so they've got to do something about the, pit, the, the, the pace of the play, get the games under three hours, get the games to 245, that kind of thing. When you do a lot of pitching changes, the one big change is they do have the three-batter rule, which carried over from 2021, where relief pitchers have to pitch for three batters. Uh, so that come into a play a couple times this weekend. Um, so that's interesting to me. It's, you know, there's going to be evolution of, of, of sports, Baseball's fallen behind in that over the last couple of generations. And now they're kind of making the quantum leap all at once with a number of rules. The, the one I thought was, it's not a really a, a rule change, but did you see the pitch com? Mm-hmm. The pitch com I thought was pretty cool. So the, some of these teams, the Yankees are doing it. Uh, the Royals did it in the, uh, in, in spring training. I don't know if they're doing it during the season or not, but basically it's a wristband. And the catcher's calling the signs on the wristband that then goes to a transmitter in the pitcher's cap and speaks the the sign to him. So it says fastball high inside, as opposed to flashing the one. That way to stop sign stealing. So I thought that was interesting. I've seen a number of teams that are using that now. And they allow them to have like, I think it's five players can have the the pitch com in their hat at a certain time. So it's the pitcher, the catcher, you're the two middle infielders and the center fielder. I thought that was kind of cool and different. I hadn't seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was cool to see uh, on uh, that front. And, and uh, you know, with these changes that we're seeing made in major league baseball, Bo, I don't know if it's attracting a, a younger audience or not. You know, I, I've always been a, a casual baseball fan, and these changes, you know, most of them necessary. I don't like banning the shift, um, you know, but, you know, some of the stuff, like, th- that's going on, it, it's not monumental enough for me to say, oh, that's the difference of why I wasn't watching and I'm going to watch now. I would agree with that. What they're going to need to do is some of the rules, like banning the shift, the universal DH is the other one this season. Now the NL is going to have the DH. Um, they're meant to score more runs, make games more appealing. Casual fans don't want to watch a 2-1 pitcher's duel. Doesn't more runs mean longer games, though? Yes and no. Yes, in theory, but you can get on a pitcher quick, score four runs, and then you kind of, yeah, it does extend games. But that's why they're doing the other pieces to shorten the game in other ways. So. But yeah, it's baseball, just like every other sports talk out of both sides of their mouth when it comes to player safety and length of the game. Yeah. They're gonna have they're gonna have rules that go both ways. The uh the universal DH, the National League held on to the no DH for a long time. You know, that was a talking point for years. Yeah. Is uh is it gonna take, I wonder, the National League a minute to catch up? of, hey, that's one less position they had on their roster as opposed to the American League, or are they going to be ready to compete right away? I think because we had a massive free agency, 
I think that because of the mat, we saw all these teams really quickly seem to adjust by going and getting players. Um, we saw like the Reds get Kyle Schwarber, a few other teams that just uh, the Brewers went and got um, um, Andrew McCutcheon, places like that. They're, they're, they're all going and getting um, veteran players to fill in that. And then also baseball has so many times where you will have, you know, players platoon in a position. You have a, a guy who plays second base when there's a left-handed pitcher and a guy who plays second base when there's a right-handed pitcher. Well, now with the DH, you can play them both, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't know that the DH, the National League teams are behind. They're really only playing themselves most of the time. But it's going to help with the um, interleague games. Now you don't have the American League teams at a disadvantage of having to bat the pitcher. We haven't had to bat the pitcher all season. Right, right. And yeah, that's a good point. Um, Bo, uh, let, let me ask you, you know, as far as uh, this season goes and such, and um, I got to start out with, you know, w- w- with uh, with Anaheim, who I just saw here, Mike Trout and uh, uh, Otani. Oh, hey, Otani. Yeah. The two top players, I think, in all of baseball. Otani, the MVP last year. Mike Trout's been incredible the last, you know, several years. And yet here they are being completely wasted in Anaheim, just forgotten about, you know, if, if Otani was playing for the Red Sox or the Yankees or even across town with the Dodgers, it would be must-see TV every single night that he took them out. And yet he is on an Island, even in a big market in Los Angeles and everything playing for the angels and all this, Uh, you know, eventually Something's got to happen to get these guys rescued out of Anaheim. I mean, I feel bad that they're getting all this money and never have to play a playoff game for it and such. I mean, that's baseball's biggest problem right now. We talk about all these issues in the sport. Your two biggest stars are in no man's land. Yeah, the um, Mike Trout in his entire career has played in one playoff series. And, and that's that's a big deal. I mean, it's – you look at that and you go, really? I mean, and it's true. He's played one series. He lost to the Royals in that series. Um, it, it's ridiculous when you look at the, the Angels and you go, wow, they have Otani, who is the biggest sensation right now, and Mike Trout, who is the, the best player in a generation. I mean, Mike Trout, I have said, I think Mike Trout is the best baseball player I have ever seen. Uh, when he retires, if he stays healthy, I think he will break some records. I think he will be thought of in the, the Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, in the pantheon of great players. But like Willie Mays, like Ted Williams, he may not ever win a World Series in, An- in Anaheim. It's just their team's not good. Um, their lineup, they start with Otani, then they have Trout. They have Anthony Rendon batting third. He's a, a really fine player, but he's not, you know, going to change the game. They've got a couple of young players, uh, Brandon Marsh and Joe Ad- Adele, who are players that they're hoping are those players. Adele had a great, fantastic defensive play on Sunday that I saw. He was a top 10 pick. But they've done a poor job of building a team around Mike Trout. Now, Otani's great, but Otani's – what he did last year, he's not going to, to duplicate every year. With that said, though, Bo, and, you know, for the casual fan out there that's kind of wondering what's going on with this Angels team, we live in a world in sports where 
guys are coming together and forming these super teams and all this. How has Mike Trout not been able to pick up the phone and bring in top stars and put together a great roster around him there in Los Angeles? To me, that's where the disconnect is. You have all the resources to compete, and they haven't done anything and uh, to to help Mike Trout. And and as far as I know, he's not – recruiting guys like we see of other stars it's a little different because superstars get longer contracts than major league baseball um the angels had the albatross of albert pujols's contract for a long time that was a 10-year deal and they had to pay him up until last season and the last three or four years that was a lot of money on a player that wasn't productive they have brought in guys like justin upton who was a number one overall pick and a player who was a fantastic athlete but just didn't play well um, where the Angels have made the biggest mistakes have been on their pitching staff. You have to have pitching to win in baseball, plain and simple. You can have the best lineup, but if you don't pitch, you can't win. And they've done a really piss poor job of that. Otani aside, and Otani was they basically bought him. They got him for the biggest contract. But they've got so much money tied up in Otani and Trout. Yeah, they haven't been able to get anybody else. Rendon, Rendon has too much money given to him. He gets to cash in on winning the World Series with the, with the Nationals. But, I mean, this is the team that the players they had brought in at times have underperformed. And it is just a little different in the game itself that you don't see super teams because the best lineup does not always win. It's not like basketball where you got five players they play the whole game. You, get, you got nine players, yeah, they play the whole game. But how they do against certain pitchers is different compared to what your opponent is when you just throw five on five on the field. Right. It, it's just a different kind of game. And we do see that in football now where we've talked on the, on, on, when I've been on with you, where, you know, uh, players are wanting to play with some of these young quarterbacks. It, it is a shame that some of these guys haven't wanted to do this, but a lot of it is the sabermetrics people. They're saying, well, we don't want, but a certain type of player. And, you know, you got like a Mike Trout. Yeah, I mean, Mike Trout's the best player of a generation, but how do you build a team around him? That's on the Angels organization as much as anything else. You would think that players would want to play with Mike Trout, but you want to play 162 games for a bad organization? I mean, that's part of it too. Yeah. I, I mean, right. the Dodgers have built a super team. Mm-hmm. But the Dodgers built a super team when they've raised some of those players. The Dodgers have, I mean, they went and got, they traded for Mookie Betts. Right. But they have Bellinger. They have Gavin Lux. Justin Turner was someone who's given up on it sometime. Max Muncy, same thing. And they went and got these guys who turned them into great players. Right. You know, and, but you still had to have pitching. You still had to have Kershaw. You still got to have Walker Bueller now. You know, it's, it's a different animal, a little different animal than trying to build the super team. Uh, but it would be interesting if a team could do it. The Yankees are the closest anyone's going to do to it. Mm-hmm. The Yankees are trying to build a team right now, but they've gone and gotten everybody they can trade for. They went and traded for Joey Gallo last year. They kept Anthony Rezzo. They have Judge. Um, but even they had to even go at the end of the day, the Yankees are just players. okay. Yeah, I mean, to me, the Angels should be what the Dodgers are. Yeah. But they're, but, but they're the second team in that city, too. Right. And that's um, a part of it. Speaking of the Yankees and such, I was listening to uh, Chris Mad Dog Russo uh, the other day. Okay. Uh, Mad Dog of the MLB Network, and he had a bold 
statement saying that he thinks that the Mets are about to overtake the Yankees in New York and be the team of the city. And that, you know, with Scherzer coming in and all the excitement there, you know, the Mets put together a really good roster. They were a dumpster fire for a long time, made the World Series, of course, in 2015, lost the Royals, but really haven't done anything since. What, what do you make of this uh, Mets team? Do you think that uh, that the, the mantle is theirs now? Is this going to be a big year for the Mets? I think the Mets are going to be good. I think getting what the Mets have done and what you have to do in baseball is you have to have ownership willing to spend money. You know, that's why the Royals haven't been good consistently. Well, you look at like the Mets, they've come in and said, hey, we're going to spend money. They went and paid. Max Scherzer's making more than the entire Oakland A's roster. They went and signed Francisco Lindor. Um, they went and got, uh, they already have Pete Alonso. Uh, they've added a couple other big names. They've got that super team kind of thing. They've kind of done that. Uh, but they've had pieces already. And they don't have the one phenomenal superstar. They overpaid for Scherzer. Uh, but Scherzer in a series can win you two or three games. So in the seven-game series. Um, I will say the thing I do agree with Russo on, I think the Mets are going to be a better team in 2022 than the Yankees. I think, the Yan- I think they're both going to make the playoffs. I still think the Mets are going to finish second to the Braves in the East. But if the Yankees make the playoffs, it's going to be by the hair and the chinny-chin-chin. They're, they're in the toughest division as well. That's what really hurts the Yankees. Isn't the Mets it, just a two-team division. Isn't it interesting Only three too, of the Phillies. Isn't it interesting, too, Bo, that you know this year the name brands uh, of baseball, which this sport is built on, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals, none of them are great. I mean, no. I mean, the Dodgers, the Dodgers are about the only name brand that are going to be great this year. Yeah, I mean, everyone Dodgers, else is like, eh, okay. The Dodgers are the, are the they're the favorites. They're the best team. One to twenty-seven, they're the best team out there. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he's as good as them. But you're right. Like in the American League East, where you have the Red Sox and the Yankees, the favorite is the Blue Jays. Toronto's built a hell of a roster. And they built it with a bunch of young guys and then a couple of free agents. Um, the better team in Chicago is not the Cubs anymore. It's the White Sox. Yeah. Um, you know, Houston's still good in the West, and they're going to be just kind of the best team in the West because the Angels can't put it together. But then in the National League, I mean, I like, I like the Dodgers. I like the Braves and the Mets. But, again, you're not looking at a lot of cachet. The Braves are the, you know, the defending champs. Um, but then I like Philly but Philly's not one of those two or three or four most noted teams. The more noted teams, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs. The Cubs just decided they're trading everybody off. That's what they've done the last 18 months. They've traded all their stars off, and they're basically starting over. And that's just been kind of ridiculous to me what they've done. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more. You know, it's always been about the haves and the have-nots for the last – that's been the narrative for the last 20 years in baseball. And it's funny because here's some teams to look for in Major League Baseball right now. The Milwaukee Brewers, Toronto Blue Jays, Houston Astros keep winning. Watch for the Minnesota Twins and the San Diego Padres. Those are five smaller, quote-unquote, smaller markets. Now, San Diego is not 
a small, small market, but they are compared to what traditional bigger markets are. And that's five playoff teams. Those mm-hmm. five will make the playoffs this year. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, I, baseball's got more parity than they've had in a number of years. Mm-hmm. It's because the money's getting spread around. And now some of the owners are saying, we'll spend some money. Yeah. Where it used to be you spent money if you were the Yankees, if you were the Red Sox. The Cubs, when their current ownership bought the Cubs, they did for a while. They won the World Series. They've stopped spending. But even along the same lines, like there's still teams like the A's, Cleveland, Tampa, that have payrolls under $60 million. I mean, yeah. that's that's ridiculous. I mean, put, yeah. a, put a spending you know uh, minimum up there. Yeah, well, that was the big argument I made. So we were talking about this on my podcast last week because I went off on this part. That's where the Players Association made their biggest concession, and they shouldn't have. They were never going to accept a salary cap. And I understand why players don't want a salary cap. You think that the big teams are going to spend. The issue is they never negotiated a floor. And in like in the Oakland A's case, the Oakland A's, the Oakland A's are pulling the real life version of Major League, the movie. Okay. They're cutting every player. They traded every major player on that team. They traded Chapman, Olsen, a couple of others. They're all gone. They're basically in there with Jake Taylor, you know, and, and you know, Wesley Snipes is carrying Willie Mays Hayes. And their payroll is less than Max Scherzer by himself. And it's so the owner of that team can move that team to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. In Tampa's case, it's because nobody goes and sees them and because their local TV rights are so low because nobody watches them. You go to a Tampa game, that big, that big stadium they have, there's more Yankee and Red Sox fans there than there are Rays fans. There's more Yankee fans in spring training in yeah. Tampa than there are Rays yeah, fans in Rays games, yeah. Yeah, the Rays love when they play the Red Sox and the Yankees because all the Red Sox and Yankee fans who are transplants in Florida all show up to the game. Yeah. It's their biggest selling games of the season. Um, last thing on the uh, baseball front, uh, Clayton Kershaw had literally a perfect game going through seven innings, and Dave Roberts pulled him out on Wednesday. Um what, what 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 can we say? He only was 80 pitches in. 80. I know that they're using the excuse, limited spring training and all that. Kershaw's defending Robert's decision and such. Come on. You got to let him go through. Yeah. I, Kershaw, this is how good a class that Clayton Kershaw is. He is not going to say he wanted that ball. He's not going to say it. He's not going to throw Dave Roberts under the bus. And Dave Roberts is a great manager. And he's done this before. We've seen Dave Roberts take a, a pitcher with a no-hitter out in the seventh and eighth inning before. I think in this case, here's why I like the idea of you got to give Kershaw the ball. Is It's a travel day. You had a 7-1 lead. He's throwing 80 pitches. He's Clayton Kershaw. He's a future Hall of Famer. He's done about every damn thing you can do. And he came back to the Dodgers this season where he could have gone somewhere else for a little more money because he wants to win. Man, you got a chance for him to throw a perfect game. It hasn't happened in a very long time. You, you got to at least you go. If you're the manager, and I, I disagree with Dave Roberts on this, I, I go over and tell him, "All right, you're in if you want the ball is until you get a runner." But in a seven-one game, I'd even tell him, "You're in until you get it until someone gets a hit off you. You walk the first guy. I'm gonna let you stay in and see if we can get two to still keep a no hitter in." intact 
You know, you want to see those guys get that. That's going to go on that Hall of Fame resume. You know, a perfect game. It doesn't happen. And they don't put on the resume, you had a perfect seven inning game. No, they don't put. And, and Kershaw had an eight inning no hitter just a couple seasons ago. And it was like, okay, you know, that was one where, um, oh, what was the circumstance where he pitched eight, but didn't pitch the ninth? It was something weird. I can't remember what all happened, but it was like, oh, what are you doing? You know, give this guy a chance. It, it might be different if it was a 2-1 game. It might be different. I understand they're thinking, hey, it's going to hurt him for the next two or three starts. And a lot of times when you let a pitcher go too deep, too deep now, it does hurt them for two or three starts. But they are the Dodgers. They are deep. It doesn't hurt them to do this. Plus, it saves your bullpen on a travel day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think there was a way too many – if you have the old Benjamin Franklin T-square here, I think that there's way too many checks in the pros versus the cons <laughs> to not let him pitch the rest of the game. I think that's well put. But before we get out of here, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. I will hand uh, things over to you as uh, you're filling in for uh, Thomas Bridges this week. Go ahead and uh, tell us uh, where we are going to this time. Right, this is the New York Post. Let me get this coming up here. Okay, title of the article is, I'm a professional baby namer. Rich parents pay me 10 grand to do it for them. More money than cents. Expected parents are paying upwards of $1,500 to a quote-unquote professional baby namer who picks the perfect moniker for their child. (laughs) Taylor A. Humphrey, 33, helped name more than 100 babies in 2020, raking in more than $150,000 from cashed-up couples. Some panicked parents are even turning over an eye-popping $10,000 so that Humphrey can help them settle on an impeccable name for their offspring. If you look at the most popular baby names, it's such a telltale sign of the culture values and our aspirations, Humphrey told the New Yorker in a a profile published Monday, the New York businesswoman who does not have any children bills herself as a passionate writer and storyteller who is apt at branding, marketing, and social media. The NYU grad previously worked as a matchmaker, fundraiser, and event planner, according to her LinkedIn profile. She is also a Reiki practitioner and has written two feature-length screenplays and one TV pilot that explores religion, spirituality, science, futurism, and the unconditional, enduring nature of love. However, Humphrey said she always been obsessed with baby names and finally found her true calling when she established her What's in a Baby's Name business in 2015. Depending on how much expectant parents pay, Humphrey's services range from a phone call and a bespoke name of list, a bespoke name list to a genealogical investigation with the aim of unearthing old family names as reported by the New Yorker. Recently, the innovative entrepreneur chose the name Parks for a couple who had their first kiss in a town called Parker. Meanwhile, Humphrey also advised an anxious mother who was considering changing her young daughter's name Isla because it kept being mispronounced. 
she she was compensated for telling the mom to stick to the Scottish moniker. Humphrey also runs a popular TikTok account, but she often offers free advice. The businesswoman said she's frequently approached by parents who are having their third or fourth child and have apparently run out of names. In a recent video, Humphrey advised a mom who was expecting baby number three and needed a name to flow with the other two older, older sons, Emmett and Miller. Humphrey's top picks, Grady, Wilson, Waylon, and Fletcher. While some may accuse couples of laziness by siphoning off their baby's name decision, Humphrey insisted that their paying parents are simply anxious perfectionists. And if they don't settle on her suggestion for a first name, she said they often end up as a middle name. Sometimes you see a name like Brave on my list and you think, I'm just not going to name my kid Brave, Humphrey told the New Yorker, but it might be worth putting it on the baby list as a name, as a thought for the middle name. Are you, you see me look at you sideways here, Tyler? Yeah. I have a question. Okay. I'm a parent. I named a kid. And you named um, your kid after Peyton Manning to be exact. I, I did name my kid after Peyton Manning. My kid's name is Peyton Brian O'Connor. And I'll tell you how that came about. My wife wanted to name the kid Brian. I didn't want a junior. So I said, I'll settle on Brian as the middle name if we can do Peyton for the first name. Now he's just P Money. So kids are going to have nicknames anyway. So this is a throwaway of money. This is just off. And the fact that she actually admitted that she told someone to name the kid Brave can get all the way the hell out of you. Uh, this is ridiculous in so many ways. Let me ask this question. Has she ever put the name Karen on the list for a little, little girl? Ooh. Does she, it, now she does, it didn't say any articles. She does take into effect some different family situations or whatnot. Again, I'm not trying to sound a poor, a poor uh, jest here, but what do you do if you have a mixed family with some names? You know? Yeah. You know, do you have a baby's name be Shaquanda if it's a white family? I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just trying to say some points right, here. Right. But I'm not sure she thinks of. And frankly, if you need someone else to name your baby, how the hell are you going to raise the baby? I want to know, too. What if the kid doesn't like the name down the road? Do you get like a refund or something? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. So if the kid changes his name, you know, you tell you're going to say, hey, you know, as Tyler, you're going to pay this lady. 5,000 bucks, and she's going to tell you to name your kid Johnny. And at age 18, Johnny says, well, up yours, Dad. I'm changing my name to David. Do you just, are you out five grand? Right. You know, I want a guarantee. Yeah. You know, I, I want to Here's know who I think should actually money. get into this business, Bo. I think... This should be up to Chad Ochocinco and Meta World Peace to own these type of organizations. <laughs> I'm telling you, I think we could. I think you and I could do this. I think you. You know who I think would be good at this? Tom Bridges would be good at this. <laughs> a guy with the name Thomas. I mean, that's pretty basic. No, no, no. Think about it. You give Tom some information. You give him a couple of beers. I think Tom could come up with a couple of good names for people. You know, I, I think you got to ask the right questions. Now, I think, too, you have to 
retire some of the older names. Like, I don't want my baby named Patricia or Sandra or... Yeah. Walter. Um, Walter is one that's got to go. Walter, yeah. Thomas, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Thomas, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not naming a kid Thomas Jr. No. You know. no. And, and by the way, too, speaking of the juniors, unless you're like a famous person, you don't need to be naming your kid Junior. Like, no, they have to have a reason to carry on your name some sorts. Like, Junior, I don't want to be, you know, a 50-year-old man. People call me Junior. This is to be something you don't know, but have you ever seen Smokey and the Bandit? Yes. Remember Junior from Smokey and the Bandit? Yes. <laughs> you, know, you know, you're right. You don't want to be a grown-ass man named Junior. Um, yeah, I, I get it. You know, I will say when we had a kid, we were very careful about the name because I didn't want, you know, I don't want my name. My wife really wanted to do that. I talked her out of it. But then I didn't want any names where it would be because my nickname is Bo. I didn't want Bo Jr. You know, my father's name was Barry. And there was a lot of talk. Maybe I should name the kid after my father. And that's your brother's name too, right? It's also my brother's name. But my brother had children already. And he had all girls. So... It was one of those, but I got to leave the option for him just in case. Now, he had six kids, all girls. He's now lost the option. If I ever have a second child, he's going to be married. But I'm not having any more children, by the way. Not at my age. But your wife will be happy to hear that. Yeah. Oh, she's she's on the same. We're in the same package. We've been in the same boat about this about 15 years now. (laughs) But yeah, we just, the baby naming situation, you know, you got to take into account where you're from. You know, I, you know, I, there's a lot of fun that could be had with that. I would love to have a baby name in this. Someone wants to pay me. If any of your listeners would like to pay Coach Bo to name their child, I'll be happy to give them half off, 500 bucks, and I will name your child. <laughs> I'll do a deep dive. 500 bucks, half off. Just mention the Jones Report, and you get that discount. Now- OAGKS.com. Get to contact us. Say, Coach Bo, name, name our child. <laughs> now, Bo, um, I got to know, as somebody with the name Brian, but spelled with a Y, That's right. how annoying has that been throughout your life? Uh, my name has been misspelled so many different ways. So the most common way of spelling Brian is B-R-I on B-R-Y. Um, then you get people who are really dumb. They think it's B-R-I, but then they make it B-R-A-I-N. So I've been called, like, people have written brain. Like brain, O'Connor. that's his brain. I'm Brian with a Y. How screwed up are you? Um, the name Byron became popular after I was born, and so I've seen Brian. They'll do it. They'll know that it's with a Y, but they'll substitute an O for an A. Sometimes I've seen a lot of stupid shit when it comes to being with comes to being misspelled names in my life. So yeah, and then my last name is O'Connor, and it's O R, not E R. So. Yeah, no one gets it right. If I call an 800 number, if I got to call a credit card company, if I got to call and make a reservation, I spell the name. <laughs> you want to know the story how I got my name, Bo? How'd you get your name? Okay, so my dad, he originally wanted to name me after his dad and his best friend and name me Michael Dean Jones. 
It's originally what he wanted. That but, sounds like a B-movie act. <laughs> yes. Michael B. Jordan, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mom said, no, you're not naming our kid after your dad and your friend. No, not happening. And so then the, ne the next best thing he came up with, he said, can I name my kid Touchdown Jones? T.D. Jones. And so... I became Tyler Douglas Jones. I and so it. I was T.D. Jones. One problem, though, I was always slow as hell as a kid, and uh, I wasn't <laughs> scoring any touchdowns. I was an offensive lineman. <laughs> That's the question I would ask. I'd ask the parents, okay, well, how, were you both varsity athletes? First time? <laughs> you know, are you going to – are your kid going to play see, running my back? my dad was oh. an athlete, but my mom wasn't athletic at all. And is I think I got my mom going to be a lineman, or is your kid going to be a quarterback? <laughs> Because T.D. Jones is great if you're a lineman or a middle linebacker in the sevens. <laughs> Actually, I was named so originally, so I'm the oldest of two brothers. My younger brother is named Barry, named after my father. My mom wanted to name me Barry. Um, my father did not want that. He did not want a Barry Jr. Um, they could not decide on my name. Until the day I was born. The day I was born, my mom was freaking out. She was like, I don't know where we're going to name the kid. I mean, it was like the 11th hour. She's there. They're having, I want to come out. And they, my grandfather, my dad's father, stepped in and said, a good Irish name is Brian. B-R-Y-A-N. And my dad was like, duh. That's genius. Let's go with it. And they said, I'm Brian. Brian O'Connor. Okay. So you know what the worst part about being Brian O'Connor is? What's that? It was fine till the early 2000s. And they made them stupid, fucking fast, and the furious movies. And Paul Walker has ruined my life ever since. <laughs> Those movies are terrible. They are terrible. And I will go places and they'll be like, I'll, I'll say my name is Brian O'Connor. Or I'll, you're picking up a package. Or you're, you're getting a table at a restaurant. You get a reservation for Brian O'Connor. And they go, are you a big fan of the Fast and the Furious? No, <laughs> I fucking hate that movie. I was here in 1975. They didn't come out to the 2000s. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Get all the way out of here with your bull. <laughs> and then my mom tricked my dad the second time and named my, my brother Barry. All right. So uh, here is the, uh, I'll, I'll give out two guy names and two girl names. Okay. And uh, to, to kind of kind of advertise our service that we're starting to. Okay, all right. Here, here's the here's the guy names I, I've thought of that, that'd be good. Um, guy names uh, Wesley, or you could call Wes. I thought that's a good name. Um, Jeff, I always like the name Jeff. Um, I think that those are the two guy names I've come up with. Uh, the uh, the the girl names. Uh, they come off the top of my head. Uh, Savannah. I, I've always thought that was a nice name. Um, and then the uh, the next name, uh, Jasmine, I always thought was one that had uh, it, it sounded successful of sorts. You know, what I, I mean? like Jasmine. Yeah, well, I like Jasmine a lot. I think that you're putting. See, with, with those names, I, I, I had two ideas. Like, what sounds successful? And what sounds like a good athlete name? And I think all four of those could qualify. Okay, I'll give you a couple of names here. So I'm, I'm going to be good here. Okay. Girl name. I got two of them for you. Okay. Cora. 
and Sage. Okay. Okay. Like Alex Coro or Sage Steele. Okay, you can say it that way. Those just actually when we were we were having our baby, when we were we were gonna have a girl, I wanted Cora as the name. Long before Alex Coro. Um before he was the manager of the Red Sox. Before he get oh. caught cheating with garbage cans. Hey, 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 don't be don't you dis don't ever make don't you ever say something bad about Alex Cora in my in my immediate area. I will not be having any sort of Alex Cora shaming here. Um, I was just joking with a buddy this past week. I do not. We were talking about another friend of ours who's in his 40s like us is having a baby for the first time. And I said, you know what name I would name a boy? Kenobi. Obi-Wan? Obi-Wan, baby. I would name a kid Kenobi. (laughs) And tell you what, he'd have great nicknames. I mean... If he's no Connor, it'd be Kenobi O'Connor. KO knockout. I mean, come on. This is you see where my services are? I'm high level. I'm giving your listeners <laughs> half off for a limited time. OAGKS.com. Hit the, hit, hit the contact us and just send in the message. Coach Bo, help us find a baby name. And I'm gonna hook you up. Hey, if she can get 1500 to 10,000, I can get five. Kenobi, what's your other guy name? That's the best one I got so far. That that one came to me. I had to think. I had to think about more guy names. See, I think every man should name them either a, either a child or an animal. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important if you're a man to have named a child or an animal at some point. Yeah. Um, you ever name an animal? You ever name a dog? I have or a cat or something. My dog uh, named Gordon after uh, Jeff Gordon, my favorite okay. NASCAR driver. Um, if I get another dog, which I, I'm well down the road, uh, Bo, I want to name it Barker Mayfield. <laughs> I knew you were a closet Baker Mayfield. Uh, There's no closet about it. I I, I, you know what the other boy name would be for me? Burrow. Of course. Burrow and Kenobi. See, I need to have twins now. They nobody touched Burrow and Kenobi, the twin, the O'Connor twins. Hey man, you. <laughs> if you want your kid to be a player, you name him Orgeron. I don't know if I can go Coach O right now. I, I'm a, I'm a little upset with Coach O and this Notre Dame thing. So, yeah, we talked about it in the Coach Bono's podcast. You can listen to that on Friday. <laughs> no, uh, I think we Kenobi is a good name though. I'm telling you. Obi-Wan. Because every his nickname would be Obi-Wan. Everyone would call him that. It'd be like it'd be the, the built-in Chris Berman name. I'm telling you, man, that, that kid have a rep from day one. Well, Bo, wrong with Kenobi. may the force be with you. May the force be with you, my friend. And that is a great way to end today's show. Big thanks to John Holt for joining us, Bo, for hanging out a little longer today as well, and you, the listener. As always, subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Twitter at Coach Bo Knows Show, and also 
uh, studio underscore soapbox instagram tyler jones live at jones underscore report you can find us there we will see you all right back here next week have a great easter passover whatever you may be celebrating this weekend hope it's a good one and we'll see you on the other side thanks for joining hey tyler i'll give you 500 bucks deal